0: Uh, good to be here, in Miami, Bo Hashem. Um, tonight, we'll uh, continue our series with Pilkar uh, Vot number 113 and uh, start a new Mishnah. Uh, very, very interesting Mishnah. Talks about money, which is uh, a very. Uh, I think it's common to talk about money today. People like to talk about money, right? Okay. Uh, Well, it talks about money, talks about the uh, uh, importance of money in life, how important it is, how unimportant it is, how valuable it is, how worthless it is. What can you use it for? Is it truly something that's useful? for more than just buying uh, bread and milk? Or is it just something that uh, it's not such a big deal and people are wrong? Um, If you notice, the last couple of Mishnayot have talked about different types of students, different types of people, character traits. And this Mishnah continues it it's strategically and divinely inspired to be put exactly here. After those two, the uh, Midrash Shmuel says that uh, this Mishnah, which uh, starts off with there are four types of donors to tzedakah, to charity. It talks about four types of donors, four types of personality types and how they... Uh, how they connect to money, what their attitude is about money. If you notice, the last two Mishnayot also had four types, where we had the um, four types of character traits of of people that get angry. You know, they get angry quickly, they get angry uh, slow. Also the four types of students that, uh, in in regards to how fast and how sharp they are and their retention uh, to learning, learning Torah, especially how they uh, remember it or forget it, and here this Mishnah is put here and uh, goes continues the same four type of model, but it's not just the four aspect of it that it has in common with the other Mishnayot. It's actually much much deeper than that. So the uh, Midrash Muel says that this Mishnah is strategically placed between these two other Mishnayot uh, to discuss various types of students because it teaches that the value of supporting uh, Torah scholars, Torah work, Kiruv, anything relating to publicizing Hashem's name and His truth, Torah Hashem, And how people that have means, people that are gifted with money and engage in this type of charity can actually find a way to buy themselves olam ba with money. It's possible. But we'll see how. It's not so easy. Just because you give a million bucks to yeshiva doesn't mean you bought olam ba could be you yourself Yisof Geinom. Depends what kind of yeshiva. But needless to say, this is something that we already learned from Sefer Bereshit, where we learn about the sons of Yaakov Avinu, and uh, we learn about Yisachar and Zvulun. Yisachar and Zvulun had a very special relationship where Yisachar was the Tamit Chacham, that learned Torah day and night. And according to the Midrash, it says it literally was day and night, meaning 24 hours a day. His body never went to sleep because simply his rest was learning Torah. He didn't need to rest like we do because his best state, physical and spiritual state, were the same sanctified his body to such an extent that for him, he felt better rest while learning Torah. Us, ah, so we open the book five minutes later, we fall asleep. It's like a sleeping pill sometimes. But him, he learned Torah, he could be awake for a year. So this is how it made sense to him to have a deal with his brother Zvulun, who even though he himself also learned Torah, he still Spent most of his time uh, in, uh, in uh, business, and commerce. But he wanted to make sure that he has a, a full share in Olamaaba Once he gets to Olama emit, the real world, real life, the, the one that stays forever, the one that's eternal, he wanted to make sure that he has Torah there. He knows that the business that he's working on is uh, not going to be enough. So he made a deal with his brother made a deal with Issachar, and he says, listen, you study, and I'll finance the whole thing. And that's actually, Rabotai, the real Issachar and Zvulun relationship, that a lot of people make a mistake, thinking that if they give some Rekh in Yerushalayim, or in Bnei Brak, or somewhere else around the world, 500 bucks, or 1,000 bucks a month, it's Issachar and Zvulun. Yes, it's Torah, yes, you're supporting a Talmud Chacham. But you can't say necessarily it's a hundred percent isachar and unless it's one of these two deot. There's two opinions of what it's supposed to be isachar and for it to be a full partnership. Meaning, of course, the thousand dollars or the five hundred dollars or whatever the amount of money that you're giving is buying you a certain portion of Torah. Of course, there's no question about that. How much it is depends on the relation, depends on the what's happening here. Why? Because if somebody thinks that they're going to pay 500 or 1,000 and they're going to get a half of the Torah, or in essence the same Torah, let's say for example if he's studying a 100 hours, you're going to get 100 hours, he's going to get 100 hours. Because Torah doesn't divide 50-50. The mitzvah is like fire. Mitzvah is like fire. If you take one candle and you want to light a second candle, when you light the second candle, the fire of the original candle doesn't change. stays the same stays the same, doesn't go down. The the fire of the original candle doesn't uh, go down because you lit a second candle, a third candle, a fourth candle, or 500 candles. The original fire stays the same. That's also a mitzvah. A mitzvah, if you have a partner in a mitzvah, it doesn't go down. It doesn't go down. We're actually going to learn here that in some cases it goes up. In some cases it goes up. But... With the deal of Yisachal and Zvulun, if someone, let's say, for example, wants to donate money to an Avrich, or someone wants to donate money to Kiruv, or someone wants to donate money to, something, you know, to a uh, let's say, Bet Knesset, each one of these things has different types of rewards and a reward system of how Hashem pays you the reward. Now, with the Yisachal and Zvulun, the intention here is to have the same relationship we heard about and learned about year after year, between the brothers, the sons of Yaakov, of how they judged it in Shemaim, that both of them had the same Torah. Had the same Torah. How could it be? Both of them learned Torah, but Yisachar learned 24 hours a day. He's, I don't know, maybe learned uh, 5 hours a day. So how could 5 hours be 24? He says, oh, he paid all the finances. So how could we do the same thing? If a person wants to have the same type of deal, where you really want to have an equal share then there's two opinions. One opinion is that you have to pay all of his expenses. The, avrech, the the one that works, also has to learn Torah. Obviously, he can't not learn Torah. He has to learn some level of Torah so he knows what to do with his own life. But in order to inherit the extra Torah that the avreich is learning all day and all night, not like Yisachar, obviously, but, you know, like a normal person in today's world, um, to have an equal share in his Torah he has to pay all of his expenses. So if he has expenses, if he has a family, kids, and so on, his expenses, let's say, is $4,000 a month, $5,000 a month, you have to pay, if you want an equal share, you have to pay the four or $5,000 a month. Meaning that if you pay $1,000 a month, it's good. It's good, but it's only a 25% share. Because he can't live off of your $1,000. You can't get all of his uh, Torah for only 25% of the effort. It's not a fair relationship. Hashem is not a uh, cheater. Hashem, what people think you could just cheat the system—you give some guy twenty bucks and that's it. You do, uh, you you got a lama buy, and he got a lama buy, and he's poor in the streets. So this, people need to use a little bit of chokmah, a little bit of common sense to understand. You cannot buy a full partnership with twenty-five uh, percent of the expenses. That's one opinion. One opinion is you have to pay all of his expenses, whatever his expenses are. If it's 4,000, if it's 5,000, if it's 10, whatever it is, 10,000, I don't know, it's a richer vech maybe. So now, that's one opinion. The second opinion, Rabotai, the rich people are not going to like it. Poor people are going to like it. Why? Because it doesn't make a difference to them. They don't have that much money anyway. But a rich person is not going to like it. Why? Because the second opinion, the Chachamim say, is you actually literally have to give them half of the income. Half of all the income you have, if let's say for example you make ten thousand a month, he gets five thousand, you get five thousand. If you make a hundred thousand a month, he gets fifty, you get fifty. If you make a million dollars a month, he gets five hundred thousand, you get five hundred thousand. That's the second opinion. Most hold by the first one. I'm not sure if they hold by the first one because they know most are not going to hold by. The, they're going to actually do the second one, and it's a, uh, it's almost like a uh, wasted effort to tell them this is what the real thing is. Needless to say, it's a uh, more common opinion that uh, at the very least a person needs to know that if they want to have a real Issachar and Zvulun, they have to pay the Avrich's full expenses. On the website, on Bezrat Hashem.org, we have sponsorship programs. Anyone that wants to sponsor the Avrechim that we have, we work with and sponsor every month, we have several families that we help every month, Bo Hashem. And uh, each, we say, real prices. You want to buy one week of an Avrech, I think, I don't know, like $600, $650, whatever it is. You know, somebody told me one time, wait a minute, $600, I have uh, my Avrech, I pay him the whole month $600. I said, okay, great, but you're not getting his whole Torah. He goes, what do you mean? But he said, I said no, he's desperate in his skin. What is he going to tell you? He said, but in Shemaim, they're not going to accept it. He can tell you whatever he wants, but if it's not, it's, it's, it doesn't work that way. He can't change the rules. What is it like? The brother of Hillel came to him, he was very, very rich, and he said to Hillel, listen, I have all this money, I don't need all this money, you don't have any money, let me just give you half my money, you give me half your mitzvot, Hilel, Kodesh Kodeshim, Gdol Adol, head of Am Yisrael. As has a brother, he loves his brother, there's uh, no animosity, he loves his brother, he wants to give him, and he wants to do it, Elon. he says, well, why not, it's my brother, I love him, I want to give him half my mitzvot, he wants to, not even for the money, just because he wants to give him the money, okay, you want to give the money, I'll do kiruv with it, I'll build kolels, I'll build yeshivot, mozdoot, all types of good things, fine, no problem. In Shemaim, a bat kol came out and started laughing. Start laughing. You think you can buy the mitzvah now after he finished? You can't buy the mitzvah after he finished. Even if Hilal says yes, in Shemaim they say no. You could only buy the mitzvah before it's done. You could only buy the merit of Rav Ovadia before he becomes Rav Ovadia. Not after he becomes Rav Ovadia. When he's a little avrich that no one knows and no one likes and no one cares about, that's when you could buy. After his Vady, it's not the same thing. Well, you donate $500 to Ravavadia, L'v Shalom? You think you get half of his mitzvot. One time when uh, Ravavadia L'v Shalom was still young, young boy, he uh, went to a uh, bit knesset, a very fancy Bukharian Bet knesset. And the Bukharians have a very unique style. Very unique, beautiful style. How it's you could tell that it's a uh, unique nation, unique people within, obviously Am Yisrael. The point is, is that it's the original Bukharian style. is very unique, very flashy, beautiful, and so on, gold and colorful. Their food is like that, also, and their personalities. So, he went to a uh, Bukharian shul one time. And uh, he's learning Torah over there as a young boy. And uh, he, need, he realized he needs another book. So he looked for the book, looked for the book. He saw it's all the way on top of the shelf. It's all the way on top of the shelf. So he has to get there. There's no light, He couldn't find the ladder. So he climbed on a couch at the over there. Now, it's a very, very fancy couch. Very beautiful couch. Very chashubi uh, couch. Expensive and so on. And he has, you know, dirt and mud on his feet and everything. And he's trying to climb the couch. The goodbye of the Shul, Hey, 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 what are you doing? What are you doing? Start yelling at him. You know how expensive that couch is? And as Hashem would have it, always things in the perfect, precise time, the biggest gvil, the biggest, richest guy in the whole shul, the whole keilah, the whole community, walks in at the same time this is happening. Now he was so rich, his coat was gold. His coat. His coat had gold on it. And he sees the little gabai of the shul, that they pay the gabai to run the shul. They, they pay him to tell people, don't ruin the shul. He sees the gabai yelling at little vadya. He yells at the, uh, at the gabai. he goes, what? You're, you're yelling at a Sefer Torah? Yelling at a Sefer Torah? Shame on you. He takes off his gold jacket immediately, he puts it on the couch. He goes, Here, step on this. Step on this. He goes, What do you think we have this shoe for? What do you think the shoe is for fancy shmenzi? Shoes for him, for Sefer Torah like this, for people like him learn Torah. He wasn't Ravovadia yet. He didn't know he's going to become Gdolado. He didn't know he was anything special. He just knew a little kid learning Torah. If it's Ravovadia, of course, he should put himself there. Step on me. No, that's not chokhmah. That's not uh, appreciation of anything. No, we're talking about before he's Rav Ovadia, when he's a little boy. He says, step on the coat. Why? The whole thing is for you. The whole beknes and all the fancy, all that is for you. For you to learn Torah. Not for the couch. Unfortunately, in today's world, a lot of people forgot about that. They build these multi-million dollar establishments and... The Torah is not really there. The Torah is not really there in many places because they think that the establishment, the windows and the uh, paintings and all this other extra schmancy stuff, that we do it because uh, we're, we're artists. So, the few Mishnayot here that we see before and actually one we will see after it says the four types of people that go to the uh, Bet midrash, to the house of study. There's different types of people. See, there's several tip, different types of learners, personalities. It says that they're all connected. This is strategically. This Mishnah connects to all of them. Connects to all of them. The Chatham Sofer, Lava one day was praised. Somebody gave him a compliment of how amazing his memory is computer. You ask him a question, he knows exactly where it is in the Torah. It's like he has a library in his brain. He knows the page number, this, this, it's on the right side, the left side, the bottom side, the middle side, the third line, the eighth line. Mamash, until you meet a Talmud Chacham, when I remember, I remember, I, I can never get over this. My whole life, I thought I was smart. I really, I was very conceited. I thought I was very smart until I met a Talmud Chacham, and then I realized I'm retarded. But man, I'm serious. I don't care who you are. You could be uh, one of these uh, scientists, uh, Einsteins and Feinsteins and uh and Schmuckings, and all these people. I make fun of it because it's really a joke. People think these people are smart. You ask any of them, listen, who's your uh, smartest judge? Who's your smartest judge you have? Smartest judge in the history of uh, America, history of Russia, history of whatever country you're in. They're going to name you some guy. I said, okay, can your judge remember every single case about this specific issue, or any issue at all, over the last thousand years? Yeah, yeah, off the computer. No, 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 computer. Right off his head. You ask him a question, let's say we're dealing with uh, issues with money. Somebody took something from somebody's yard, let's say. All the cases that ever happened over the last thousand years. Does your best judge... Remember every single case that ever happened pertaining to this? They're going to look at you like, what, are you crazy? Even the computer doesn't know. The computer itself doesn't know. He just knows a few. It's an algorithm that gets you the, the best search items that have common words. Even the computer doesn't know. Tamit <laughs> Chacham, knew it like it was nothing. Khatam <laughs> Sofer knew it like it's nothing. Like, what, Why wouldn't I know? So somebody gave him a compliment and he said, K'vodahav, it's unbelievable how your memories how great your memory is. Wow! And he rebuked him. Khatam Feb rebuked him. What? What are you talking about? What memory? What are you talking about? It has nothing to do with memory. I have no memory. I don't remember anything. He says, we asked you questions. You remember. He goes, no, it has nothing to do with memory. He says, the Torah tells you good things of reward. It tells you punishment too. Now, it's so hard to learn it. It's so hard to learn. This Torah, you have to toil and toil to understand the point, the bottom line, and everything else. And there's so much on the line. Because if you get it wrong, could be death penalty. Meaning, if you light candles of Shabbat on time, it's mitzvah. mitzvah. If you light it, 30 seconds, I'm not talking about 30 minutes, 30 seconds late, it's Chilul Shabbat, it's Gzardin Mavit, death penalty. 30 seconds late, it's death penalty. Meaning, if you analyze the timing of when it's supposed to be and not supposed to be, it's life or death, it's so hard to get to the bottom line, to get to know the yes and the no and everything else. It's important to me to know it. My life is on the line. It's such a shame to forget it. I'm scared to forget it. That's why I remember it. It's not that my memory is good. It's that I'm scared to forget it. Do you understand the difference? I'm scared to forget the Torah. So, we see all of these special people that we've learned about over the last couple of weeks that have Midat chasidut that doesn't only not get angry, but if something ever happens, he gets over really quickly, that's what makes him a chassid. On another hand, a person that absorbs things quickly, he's sharp and he remembers them, midat, that's a chacham, a person that's generous, not only he gives what's his, but he lets you keep yours, all these different types of good traits. So this Mishnah also talks about these special people, and not so special. So the Mishnah starts the following, Says, there are four types of donors to charity. I want to get and not get others. It is not bad in others and he does as you notice, it's the third one each time, and I'll go over the translation in a moment. And the last one is, So it's the same order, the same order as we had before, just different qualities of a person. So it says here, the Mishnah, it's 516, at least in this seder, there's, sometimes you'll have different sederim with different Mishnayot. Sometimes it'll be 512 or 516, so on. There are four types of donors to charity. Four types of donors to charity, meaning there are four types of attitudes towards giving. Four types of attitudes towards giving. That's what Rav explains it as. One who wishes to give himself, but doesn't want others to give. He doesn't want other people to give. He begrudges others, meaning... His eye is an evil eye against other people. Second one is one where he sees that the others he gets, others should give, but he should not give. His attitude is that other people should give. Yeah, no, not for me. Not for me. He begrudges himself now, not others. His eye eye is on himself. He hurts himself. And we'll understand the details. The third one is that he should give and others should give. That's a chassid. Not only does he understand his own responsibility of giving, but he tries to get other people to give. That's a chassid. Giving the merit not only to himself, but also other people. And the fourth one is, he should not give and others should not give. Not only he doesn't want to give, but he doesn't want other people to give. That's Rasha. That's an evil person. That's an evil person. The Firit Israel calls him cruel and wicked. It's a cruel person. Sometimes we have these... Uh, campaigns we do online to try to raise money because even though I give you guys everything for free and the shulim are free and the CDs are free and the posters are free and the books are free, and everything is free somebody has to pay for it it's not, it doesn't come like a month from Shamayim yet, we are not at that level yet hopefully next year uh, but the Kiruv packages are free and everything is free, it costs money so we try to raise money for people to donate And sometimes some people mamash can lose olam abay in a second. Why? They open their mouth when they shouldn't. What do they do? They write uh, some nonsensical comment. Like, why? Remember the last campaign we had? Somebody uh, wrote, "What do you want? What do you want?" Or another guy says, "Ah, I don't really have any money right now." Okay, do you have to publicize you don't have any money? If you don't have any money, keep it to yourself. Or other people who say, oh, all these rabbis want is money. All types of things like that. Why? For why? What purpose does it serve? You're making a public comment that could potentially, even if there's a one percent chance, that it discourages another person from giving, or it causes another person to give less. Instead of him giving a thousand, now he gave a hundred. Now to you, that doesn't mean anything. In Shemayim, it means significantly different for both of the people. Why? For what? Somebody wants to give, me quiet. What are you wearing away for? This is a a cruel midah. This is a cruel character trait. It's a cruel character trait. It's directly or indirectly influencing other people not to give. I remember one time when I was still in the business world. Baruch Hashem, Hashem gave me a lot of different tikunim, a lot of different problems I have to deal with in my life. But it was never money. Baruch Hashem. So, I never had a connection to it, liked making it when I was in business, but never looked at it beyond it being a tool. And one time I decided to donate, you know, they have the Bikneset, they have, uh, during the holidays, they uh, do the uh, auctions, the auctions, and people, you know, challenge each other's ego. I give five hundred. I give six hundred. I give nine hundred. Two hundred. Five hours later, finally they got to two thousand. It's the whole, uh, the whole gas, the whole uh, show off of getting finally there. Unfortunately, the uh, chachamim said that if it wasn't for ego, there wouldn't be any batekneset. Most of the time, money is coming only because of ego, not because of the batekneset and anyone caring about the one. That's a reality. It's true. So one time they had this thing and I just decided to just throw the big, you know, what I wanted to give. It's a big number. I think it was the biggest in the Shul's history at that time. It wasn't that big. Whatever was big for them. And uh, somebody looked at me and goes, what are you doing? I thought he was talking to somebody else. Maybe somebody stepped on him or something. I don't know. What? No, what are you doing, man? You couldn't got it for so much cheaper. He tells you you could have gotten it for so much cheaper. Why would you go all the way up there? I, I, initially, I did not understand what he, what he was. What do you mean to get cheaper? Buying uh, pants, buying uh, shopping for, for 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 the Super Bowl. Like, what am I doing here? What are you? I'm, I'm buying. I'm buying a blessing. Could have got it for cheaper. So people's understanding of mitzvot is that they think it's business. It's maschera. They treat mitzvot like it's business. are supposed to get it for the cheapest. Somebody tell, oh yeah, I need tefillin. Okay, what's uh, what's your budget? Well, how much are they? I said, it depends. You can get tefillin that are decent for $600. But you can get, if you're a grown-up and you have a few dollars to spend, you should get tefillin for 1500 $2, Depends. 2000 3000 depends on your budget. It's not a... Uh, two months investment it's this is something you have for a long time plus this is one of the tools you connect to a with it's not a car that uh, goes bad after uh, you know you uh, after a few years or even after a few minutes sometimes it depends where you buy it from um, it's not a house that's just uh, you know cardboard that you're gonna you know fly away with just a little bit of wind it's feeling Depends what your budget is. What what how much does it mean to you and how much are you able to afford according to your means. No, no, I just want to get uh just uh whatever's the cheapest. So the cheapest get go to another rabbi. The cheapest, go to another rabbi. You can get something cheaper for me. You guys so we don't make money we don't make money from it anyway, but the point is is that go if you want something cheap, go somewhere else. Cheap, go somewhere else. You don't it doesn't matter to you. It doesn't matter to you. Why should it matter to me? I'm gonna go break my head, get it from your wish shipping this, deal with this, wait for the guy, deal with this whole thing. You wanna get something cheap? Go. Go to uh, eBay or something. Buy it for $30. Some dog wrote it or something. What are you, what are you bothering me for? want something cheap? Or somebody says, oh, I have mezuzah, I need uh, 10 mezuzot. What's the cheapest you have? As cheap as I have is somebody else. Cheapest I have. You look for something cheap? What is this? Uh, groceries? You're looking for a sale? You're missing the point. Watch some shiuri, maybe you'll come back to me after. Do some tshuva. The point is, Rabotai, mitzvot is not something you're supposed to look to save money on. You don't negotiate with mitzvot. If anything, you should give more. If you really want to show you have good midot and you're showing Hashem that you love the mitzvah, you should learn from the mitzvah of mezuzah. On kilos ager, he taught us the custom that we have of kissing the mezuzah. Every time we come in and every time we leave the house or whatever door it is. In Igmarai Masechet Avodah Zarah, it says when the uh, Caesar wanted to arrest him, he sent people to Onkelos to go arrest him. And uh, they came to him, he started talking to them. They all got convinced, they go. They converted to Judaism too. Then he sent a few more soldiers said, don't talk to him. They came, they didn't talk, but he talked. They converted to Judaism too. Then he sent another round of, of soldiers, he says, don't talk to him and don't let him talk. He came to him and said, listen, don't say a word, we're going to kill you. Don't say a word. <laughs> They put him, oh, come on, no, they still gave him because he was related to uh, to the uh, royal family over there of the goyim. He was a goy before he uh, became a Jew. And uh, gave up everything for Am Yisrael, gave up everything for Shamid Barach. He, he was supposed to be, he was in line to be the next Caesar. Not uh, just an average guy. So when he got out of the house, before he got out of the house, one second, and he, he Took his hand, and he grabbed it and he kissed him as it was up. But he had on his door. And the soldiers, they couldn't help themselves. They were very interested. Like, what did you just do? It was like, uh, imagine what, what happened here? Why are you kissing the wall or this little thing you have on the wall? Ah, you ask me a question, I'll answer it. Now I'm allowed to talk. He says, You see, your king, he's scared. So he can't really protect you. He needs you to protect him, so he stays inside while he sends you outside to protect him. He says, my king, he's everywhere. He's everywhere. And he protects me whether I'm inside or I'm outside. All I gotta do is remember that he's my king. So, that's mezuzah symbolizing that I love my king. Symbolizing that I love his mitzvot. It's not that you're obligated to kiss the mezuzah, it's that you're showing Hashem that you love his mitzvot. It's not that you're obligated to kiss the sidur every time you pick it up. Is the you're showing Hashem, oh Bau Hashem, is a yofi, give me another mitzvah. Oh, sif Torah, B'ruh Hashem! I love it. I love your mitzvah, that's why I kiss them. You see a little baby, a little kid. What do you do? First thing you see him. You kiss him. Why? You love him. The same thing you gotta treat it is Torah, is Sidurim, is mitzvot, is tzitzit, is tefillin. we kiss it. Why? She says, Oh, Bauch Hashem, B'ruh Hashem. A lot of people kiss it, they think it's like uh, obligation. If you don't know what it means to kiss your mezuzah, don't kiss it. it doesn't mean to kiss. If you're Mechalev Shabbat, don't kiss the Sefer Torah. Don't listen to the Sefer Torah. Don't kiss it. If you're not going to listen to the Sefer Torah, don't kiss it. Because to listen is the obligation. To kiss it is not an obligation. To kiss it is just something you do if you're listening to it. If the Sefer Torah would talk, it'd say, no, no, don't kiss me. Dirty, disgusting mouth that you have, curses all day, uh, it violates Hashem's name every two minutes. Don't kiss me, disgusting. Don't touch me either. Ugh. Well, you touched the Goyah five minutes before you got to the Be Don't touch me. Don't look at me. Honestly, get out of here if you could. If, if the Sefer Torah could talk, get out of here. You have Tuma all over you. Don't touch me. If you're lucky the Sefer Torah doesn't talk. It would kick all of us out, Hashem HaKem. Be no Bekneset would have a minyan in some cases. With the Ga'ava that we have, the bad midot that we have. Hashem has mercy on us. He didn't let the Sefer Torah talk. So, Onkelos again showed us how much he loves the mitzvot. And those last batch of uh, soldiers said, if your king can protect you, we want your king. Why? We're, we're protecting our king. He's little hiding in his castle. We want your king, they converted also. After that, they stopped sending the people. said, oh, we're not going to mess with him anymore. He's going to convert the whole nation by the end. Forget it. Leave him alone. Let him do whatever he wants. No one in the history of mankind has ever lost fulfilling the will of Hashem. So now, the Mishnah here says to you, There are four types of donors. The first one is one who wishes to give himself and wants others not to give. He gives ainara to other people. Second one, he wants other people to give, but he doesn't want to give. He gives ainarat to himself. Third one is he gives and he wants other people to give. And uh, that's a chasid. Excuse me. And the fourth one is the rasha, who doesn't want anyone to give. Not only he doesn't understand the value of the mitzvah, but he is causing other people to not fulfill the mitzvah. So, when a person is wealthy, he has to understand that being wealthy, having money, is a much bigger test than being poor. Much bigger test than being poor. And the reason why is because if he is wealthy, it all depends on the level of wealth. If he's wealthy and there are people around him, Jews around him, that are poor, don't have food for Shabbat, struggling, they're not able to pay for yeshiva, they can't buy a chumash, and he lives his life, he should know that when he gets up to Shemaim, he's going to have to pay a din for that. He's going to get punished for it. Meaning that to be rich is not just so you could buy a Ferrari and three houses and have uh, a nice uh, 401k, IRA, stock portfolio, bitcoins, schmidt coins, some real estate, some buildings, and all the wonderful things in life that you like to enjoy and eat, and have a special juicy steak served to you by the minute, it's not just for that. Yes, you're allowed to enjoy the money that Hashem gives you, so long as you took care of your responsibility of having money. Now, when I talk about people being rich, I think, actually I know, that most people think that I'm referring to people that are billionaires or even millionaires. And that's not true. That's not rich. People have a confused understanding of what rich means. Rich does not mean a billionaire. Rich does not mean a millionaire. Yes, of course, that's rich. I'm talking monetarily rich. But if a person has $1,000 to their name, obviously he's not rich. Why? That's just enough money to get by. I don't know. It depends where you live, for the week, for the month. There's not much more than that. If a person has $5,000, okay, so he has enough money to get by. Again, depends on where he lives for a couple of months, maybe less, maybe one month. depends on his expenses. But what if the person has a nice... Portfolio, he has a hundred thousand in the portfolio and he's got his expenses of let's say four or five thousand dollars a month. Is he qualified as a rich person? Is he qualified as a rich person? I'm asking you a question. Demet, who's, who's gonna tell me yes or no? Would you say, ah, look at this guy, he's rich? Would you say it? You say he's rich? What about you? Would you say he's rich? I wouldn't. hundred thousand is nothing. $100,000 is nothing. $100,000 is not a lot of money. It's a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money. Meaning, you could spend it in a day, on a car. You could spend it in a day, down payment on a house. You could spend it in nothing. But if his expenses are $5,000 a month, then technically he's rich. So which we hear, from here we learn that rich does not have much to do with what I think. Rich has to do with relative to, to your life, relative to how you're living your life and so on, what your actual real needs are. Now if you have expenses that are exorbitant uh, because you're wasting a lot of money and you are you know, renting a uh, house or living in a house that's beyond your means and you have all uh, types of jewelry and all types of unnecessary things that you don't need in life, then uh, you're wasting the gift that Hashem gave you, number one. And number two, you're a rich person that's probably not going to stay very rich. Why? Because there's, you're not going to have any blessing in your money. So even if you have a dollars you know, $500,000, $1 million, you are rich, even though by that person's definition, people like that that spend a lot of money usually define rich as someone that's very far away from them. So if, let's say for example, if they have let's say two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars in the bank, which is more than enough for every normal person to live on for a long time and so on and so forth, I'm not saying you can retire on it, but it's a uh, it depends on your age also. If you're seventy years old, sixty years old, you can. But if you're twenty years old, then no. You need more than that. But the point is is that if you're let's say in your twenties or thirties and you have two three hundred thousand dollars, you don't think of yourself as rich. Why? Because you're looking at the guy down the street that has uh, two, three million dollars. He's like, ah, he's rich. You look at the guy on TV or on the internet that uh, just uh, sold his company for 20 million. It's like, ah, he's rich. He's rich. He's got 20 million. You look at the guy that's running the country. He's got 10 billion. It's like, ah, he's rich. He's rich. Trump, he's rich. Yeah, he's rich. But you're wrong. And right at the same time. Yes, they're all rich, but so are you. You have much more than what you actually need. Which means you have an obligation to use that money to fulfill the will of Hashem. You don't need to, the, 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 the definition of rich does not fall on just people that have millions and millions and zillions of dollars. It all depends on how much you have beyond what you need. And what you need is not what you want. There's two different things. Your kid is always going to want the lollipop. He doesn't need the lollipop. Even if he tells you, I need it, I need it, I need it. He doesn't need the lollipop. You go to the toy store, I need the toy. What do you need the toy for? I need it. I need, You don't need it. You want it. I need it. I need, You don't need it. You want it. So we have to be grown-ups and understand there's a need and there's a want, there's a desire. For the most part, most people in the world live beyond their means. And that's the reason why you see many people in huge amount of debt, huge amount of debt that they're never going to be able to pay back because their in- unless their income somehow quadruples or they live to be 300 years old, they're never going to be able to pay back this debt. All these young kids that go to college, they're 18 years old. By the time they graduate college, 22, 24 years old, whatever that is, they go to grad school if they want to be something because college is meaningless now. College is what high school used to be. It's a complete waste of four years until the last semester. The last semester is the only thing that's meaningful. If you could just skip the first three and a half years, it'd be much cheaper and much better for you. You have less sins too. But in general, we don't recommend for Jews to go to these colleges unless, say, uh, it's going to be a kosher college, which in Hashem I don't really think exists to such to a high level. Either way, the point is is that person, by the time they finish school, even if they have a decent profession, like an accountant, or they're going to become a lawyer, or they're going to become a doctor, they're not going to make big money right away. They're going to come out of school, even if they're uh, good and grades and everything else. Maybe they're going to make 75000 a year. 80000 a year. Maybe. If they have a great job. Average person, he's lucky if he gets a $35,000 a year job. You know how many kids came to me from Harvard and Yale and Princeton and I couldn't even hire them for $30,000 because they had nothing? They had nothing worthwhile. Yeah, they had nice grades, but in things that were useless to me. Useless, useless skill, use that communications degree. What am I going to do with a communications degree? Go communicate at uh, Burger King. Get a uh, physical education degree. Okay, go physically yourself and uh, at home. I need somebody that can, that's a hustler, that's going to do something with their life. So, a lot of these kids go to school, they get these degrees, complete waste of money, aside from you know consuming themselves with an enormous amount of sins that's very hard to fix in your life. But even if you put all of that aside, you just look purely at the financial matters, you see that these kids come out with debt that most likely they're never going to be able to pay back unless they strike it rich. They come out of college with, at the best case scenario, the job. Even if they're really good at it, they're going to get $75,000 a year. If they're good at it. But the debt they have... 150, 250, 300,000, 400,000 debt. When is he going to? Now, the 75,000 he's making, it's not really 75,000. It's theoretical 75,000. It's 75,000, it says on paper it's 75,000. You don't actually get 75,000. First of all, you got taxes. That almost takes half of it. Then you have expenses. Well, you don't live on money. You have expenses, and of course, if you have seventy five thousand dollars in income, you're thinking you're a kid, you make seventy five thousand, I'll spend a hundred. I'm not gonna spend seventy five thousand, dollars If I make seventy five, I'm gonna spend a hundred, which means you continuously increase your debt until the bankruptcy office knocks on your door. Hey, sir, no more no more credit. You're you're a thief. Enough. You're never gonna be able to pay this back in a million years. You, and that's why people say, oh I can't wait for the Mashiach to come. Because they think the Mashiach is the social security office. They think the Mashiach is going to pay their debt. They don't want Mashiach to come because they want uh, you know, Hashemit Barah to be sanctified and Torah and mitzvot. No! They want Mashiach to pay their debt. They think he's the social security office. He's welfare. Think People think the Mashiach is going to come solve their problems. Oh, I can't believe it, all this debt. I can't wait for Mashiach to come. What do you mean? If you don't find... Do you think the Mashiach is going to pay your debt? You have to pay your debt. So the thing is, though, is that a lot of people need to understand is that you have to think. You have to think. The Torah makes you think. It forces you to think. Think ahead before you make these moves. Before you go into school, if you're going to go to school at all, where are you going? For what? If you're going to go for, for, for some waste of time degree... Don't go save the money, because you're not allowed to borrow. According to halacha, you're not allowed to borrow money if you know that you can't pay it back. If you don't know, it's a different story. But if you know for sure you can't pay back, you're not allowed to borrow the money. It's the same thing. For example, if you go to a store and you know, let's say it sells uh, seeds, and uh, you know in Israel they have these stores in the in the in the, uh, in the market. Uh, that sell all types of candies and seeds and uh, pistachios and stuff like that. And some people just come there; and they're not looking to buy, they're just looking to taste everything. Okay, I take the feel. Oh, this is good. Mm, it's good. Oh, I think it's lunch. Because they only take one, and one here, and one here, and one here, and one here. And by the way, in Ganev, they say, okay, this room is for that one. This room is for that one. This room is for that one. This room is for that. It's gezel. You're stealing. You're not allowed to just... Yeah, but he's giving other people... Yeah, because they're customers. They're looking to buy. You know coming into that store you're not looking to buy. That means you're not allowed to taste. Same thing people go to suit stores or clothing stores and they know they're not going to buy. This they, they have nothing to do with their life. They want to try on clothes. You're a thief. You're a thief. Why? The guy doesn't know that you're not looking to buy. The girl doesn't know you're not looking to buy. She's thinking, she's getting our hopes up, she's spending time and energy on you to give you the sizes, to give you the dress, to give you the this, to give you that, and you have no intention whatsoever to buy. In fact, what you're looking to do, you're looking to go to the store, see what's there, and then say, okay, yeah, I like this one, but I'll get back to you. You go, on, uh, you go home, and you buy it online for cheaper. You're a thief. You're you know, a thief. You're not allowed to do such things. But only the Torah is going to teach you such things. Because everything I just said to you is normal behavior in the world today. People sometimes get these uh, clothes. Why? For one night. She buys the dress for one night. She leaves the tag on it. Or he leaves the tag on the, on, on the, on the jacket. Why? I'm going to wear it one night to go out on this date, to go to this event, to do something. And tomorrow I'll give it back. You're a thief. A person's a thief. You know, do such things. But only the Torah is going to teach you these things. These are in the Torah. A person that wants to have even a chance of getting to Ulam Abayu is going to have to know these things. And the reason why is because the Dini, the, dinin, the the laws of money are the ones that the Chachamim say, if somebody wants to be a Chacham, go learn the laws of money. Go learn the Gemara, Kama, Baba Metziah, Baba Batra. It's three gmarot, It really originally was one gmara, but it was too big of a tractate. So they divided it up into three. Anyone that wants to inherit chokhmah, to become a big chacham, to become something special, has to learn these laws. Why? Because these laws are not just about the laws of what to do and what not to do. These laws are against your inner nature. Your inner nature is ra. A person is born with an inner nature that's evil. Yetzirah. His inner nature is automatically going to think that the world owes him something. His inner nature is going to tell him that even if I'm buying or I'm not buying, I'm doing him a favor. I'm giving him something to do. I'm giving him something to do. He wasn't doing anything before I came to the store, so I'm helping him out. I'm giving him something to do. Why don't you do something for him then? He's going to give you something to do. You give him something to do. Both of you work for each other. How about that? you go work for him in the uh, studio nonsense people have in their head but this is ra this is evil this is an evil inclination so unless a person starts learning these laws of money he's not going to know why because the laws of money according to the torah it's not just telling you what's allowed what's not allowed it's telling you how to be a kosher person how to be not just eat kosher food be a kosher person Be considerate about other people's time. Be considerate about other people's, you know, their world, their view, their thing. You can't just go into the store and think you own the place. So this also has to do with people that have employees. If you have the money and you owe a person money, you're not allowed to delay paying him even by a second. You're not allowed to delay paying him even by a second. You have to give him the money as soon as possible. The fastest way possible. Why? Every minute that you're not paying him, he's suffering. You're not allowed to do such things. So these types of things are against our nature. I know in a business world, none of the, even though I generally one of the few things that was decent about me as a person, I'm very honest when it comes to money. But this stuff, I never thought about. Why? It's not human nature. It's not human nature to think, I'm going to try on the clothes even though I really don't feel like buying it. I just want to see what it looks like. It's not human nature to think, wait, that's, it's stealing. You don't connect it to it as a human being. You don't connect it to, oh, I'm stealing his time. What you rationalize as, I'm giving him something to do. He's doing it anyway. If I don't come, somebody else is going to come. You rationalize it. Or you take the little fistuk, the little pistachio. You're like, that guy has 50 million pistachios in a sack. I'm taking one. Is anything going to change in a, in a sack of pistachios? Did he really lose money? No. But it's still stealing. It's still stealing. So that's the thing about Tanya Karim, is that the Chachamim that had difficulty, they were born, in the previous Mishnah, we learned that there's a certain person that it takes them a while to grasp the material, and he forgets quickly the people that succeeded overcoming that were advised as more than one story that their rabbis advised them, go study Masechet Kama, Go study the laws of money. You want to be chacham? Go study that. Why? Because that not only teaches you the right and wrong as far as the law, but also the right and wrong as far as midot. How to become? How to purify your neshama? So there is a word named shiputz. Shiputz, shiputz is you could use it superficially. You say when a person mepshapets uh, the chelo, he's uh, fixing, he's remodeling his uh, his his, uh, his house. But when it applies to in reality, with if you go deeper into the meaning of the uh, word I spoke about with the Rabbani today, and she gave a good, better definition in English, because English, and really no language, has an exact definition for Sfat kodesh. Really, she puts, when it applies to your Neshama, it's, you can't remodel your Neshama. So what is it? It's rectifying, it's purifying your Neshama. It's somewhat similar to what you will be doing with a diamond. You know, a diamond, you first find it, First find it, it's ugly, it looks like a regular stone, a piece of glass at best. Look, it's disgusting. It doesn't look like anything special. But after they cut it, and they cut it, and the lasers, and they cut it, and they cut it, with all these different uh, you know, advanced computers of uh, making sure you cut it this in a perfect way, whether it's going to be a heart shape, or a, a tear shaped or a round shape, or a square shape, and so on and so forth, different types of shapes, based on the diamond... You want it to make sure that it, it, it uh, reflects the light the best way. And that's how they make diamonds that shine. It all has to do with actually how you cut the diamond. It's not just you cut the diamond and all of them shine. You can cut two diamonds the same exact way. One of them will shine. The other one won't shine. Why? Because that diamond was not able to reflect the light the same way. Point being, Abhata, is that to cut the diamond and make it really valuable to get the, uh, the precious value of, let's say, a perfect flawless diamond, the flawless diamond... You have, to, you have to cut it and fix it and cut it and fix it and cut it and fix it. And this, Rabotai, is what we're supposed to do with our neshamot. You have to cut them and fix them and cut them and fix them and cut them and fix them and fix this and fix this and fix this. And one of the most difficult things for a person to fix is his attitude towards money. His attitude towards money. Because most people that work think that whatever money they make is their money. They don't think about it as this is God's money. They think it's their money. So when a per- and, and, and most people, they work so hard for the money that it's hard for them to give it. Even though Hashem gave them 100% and He tells them, give 10 to my children that are learning Torah. Give 10 to my Torah. He says, no, but it's my money. It's not your money. It's Hashem's money. He gave you 100% for you to give 10. And if you want to be a tzaddik, give 20. People look at you like you have 16 heads. Like, nah, it's not. I don't think it's relevant for today. Like the Torah, Torah changed, chas Shalom. Why? The reason why is because people fall in love with their money to such an extent that it's hard for them to separate themselves from it. It's hard to separate themselves from it. So, the Vilna Gaon Vilna Gaon would that spoke about this topic, he says that the ultimate human joy comes from attaining a higher level of understanding. When a person gets money, he could get excited for a minute, for an hour. Five hours a week, let's say. But that's it, the. In reality, the excitement goes away. Especially the more money the person has, eventually he becomes numb. And that's the same with all material. With all material. In fact, Shlomo Amelach says, Shlomo Amelach says, if you found honey, Eat slowly, a little bit at a time. Why? You eat too much, you can end up throwing up. Now, do we really need Shlomo Amelik, the wisest man of all time, to tell us that if we eat too much honey, we're going to throw up? This is what wisdom he has? You really think this is what it means? No, what he's referring to is the number one pleasure for a human being. What is it? The pleasure of intimacy. The pleasure of intimacy. Climax of intimacy. And he's saying... If you found, especially to men, if you found a woman, that's Dvash, that's the honey. You found a woman, take it easy. Don't become a uh, donkey. Don't become a lion. You're still a human being. You're still a holy human being. You're still a Jew. There's a time to be together. There's a time not to be together. Half the month you're together when she's pure. Half the month you're not together when she's not pure. Why? If you do it too much, if you're too intimate, eventually you're going to vomit. Meaning, eventually you'll become disgusted of each other. Even though initially, oh wow, what? You could show the most beautiful women, and, and you can show the, the, the ex-husbands too. How could it be she's so beautiful, and the whole world thinks she's beautiful, and on magazines, and Hashem and all these things. Everybody thinks she's beautiful, but she has six ex-husbands. How come all those six ex-husbands think she's disgusting? Because did not follow the simple rules of the Torah? Simple rules of the Torah. And this is with the number one pleasure. And the same goes with all pleasures in life, whether it's money, or kavod, or intimacy, or so on and so forth. The Vilna Gaon is, all of that pleasure is Short term, especially if you have a lot of it. The ultimate pleasure, though, is when you understand something new. When your whole mind switches. Why? Chidush. You have a chidush. What's a chidush? What's a new insight? What does it mean? It means that everything you believed until now became meaningless. Why? Because now there's something new. Your whole life changed direction. If it changed direction in a positive way, there's a chidush, there's a positive chidush, there's a new insight. You just understood. You finally, 30, 40, 50 years after you came to the world, you finally found a chidush. What? The meaning of life. The meaning of life. You found the meaning of life. Why are you here? What's your mission? What you're supposed to do? do, do, do. This is the greatest thing in the world. There's no end to this pleasure. Why? Because you live this chidush. It's not just a one-time thing. It's not just a one-week thing. This is something that is going to take control of your life, this chidush. This new insight, is, it's, it's changed your world, depending on a level of chidush. So the Vilna Gaon says that the highest level of, of um, joy in the world, in this world, can come from an understanding. So when the supporters of Torah, whether it be Kiruv or Torah learners of Rechim, when these people that support them, that donate for Torah... When they leave this world, they will rejoice. Why? Why will they rejoice after they leave this world? Because their first present, their first reward in the real world, is not only the reward for doing charity, but they'll gain the privilege of knowing and understanding all of the Torah learning that they made possible. They'll have a complete understanding of where that dollar actually went. So imagine, you gave a hundred dollars, you gave a thousand dollars, you gave a million dollars, whatever you gave. Now, a guy gave, there's a guy in uh, in Israel that uh, used to have yeshivot and all types of kolels, but also had different centers to help religious people and everybody in general. But low-cost clinic, low-cost dentist, low-cost different thing to help people that are struggling. But the government of Israel, the Zionists, decided that he has too much power, we have to take him down. And that's what they did. They conjured up a conspiracy that... Uh, all types of claims on him, all have been proven false already. But literally destroyed him. Destroyed his finances, took all of his money, destroyed his company. Shem yachem miskin. a poor guy. Now during one of the hearings, they came to his donors. And one of the donors, they said, uh, listen, you donated to him a million dollars. Did you know that the million dollars, you know that... Uh, he has a kolel. He has, you know, people learn Torah. He goes, no, I didn't donate for a kolel. He goes, no, no, but don't worry. The million dollars didn't go to the kolel. It didn't go to the kolel. It went to uh, the clinic and the hospital and the uh, dentist and the uh, low-cost clothes, whatever, all the other things. He goes, no, no, I didn't donate the million dollars like that. If I would have known he had a kolel, I wouldn't donate at all. That's how much he hated Torah, this guy. Now, these are unfortunately, people that consume only sins in their life. Even when they do a mitzvah, even when they do a mitzvah, they don't know how to appreciate and they end up losing it. You already did a mitzvah. Be quiet. Don't say you regret it. Why? If you regret it, you lose the entire reward. Now, a person has the opposite, that understands the value of a mitzvah. And let's say he donates some money. Now, he doesn't really know what's going to happen. He doesn't know how it's going to affect and I in, in the real world they're gonna show him and they're gonna show her what happened with that money. He donated, let's say, a thousand bucks. he doesn't think it's such a big oh, I donated a thousand bucks, okay. Maybe I sponsored a thousand CDs. Maybe I sponsored an, an Avreg for 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 a week and a half, two weeks. He doesn't know really. You know, they're gonna show him, look. See, you sponsored a thousand CDs. Those thousand CDs were giving out in New York, in this community in Queens. In this store, in that store, in this store, in that store, in that store. They put it in, you know, ten stores had these CDs that you sponsored. Okay? Now, each one of these stores, they gave it away over a month, a week, or whatever it took. And look, one person picked up the CD, and he listened to it. He didn't just uh, pick it up uh, just to put his uh, cup on it. He took the CD, he listened to it. And he said, wow, this is true. Hashem is true. His Torah is true. I got to do something about it. All of a sudden he puts a keep on. All of a sudden he goes to be knesset. All of a sudden he puts tefillin on. All of a sudden he keeps shabbat. All of a sudden he starts learning. All of a sudden the guy becomes an avrich. All of a sudden he calls uh, yaron. He tells him, listen, I need to go to koler. I need to go learn. Forget work. Forget business. Forget everything. I got to go to koler. Okay. Well, I going to send you to all sameach in Israel. Go. He goes to the call in Israel. He becomes a big rabbi. He starts a family. He has kids. The old little tzaddikim ketonim. Cute little tzaddikim. One of those little kids becomes big rabbi. Not small rabbi. Big rabbi. What big rabbi? Becomes Rabbi Moshe Feinstein. Becomes Rabbi Vadya. Becomes the Vilna Gaon. What? One CD. One dollar. Out of the thousand. One dollar. They're going to show you Everything. Not just the mitzvot that you made, where out of a thousand, let's say a hundred listen, and out of the hundred, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty did shuvah, and they have a tzaddikah wife now, a tzaddik husband now, and children, and mitzvot. Yeah, of course. But I show you even the big things too. The full understanding of how you literally built a part of Amisrael. For what? For something that uh, I don't know, took you uh, a week to make, a week of your life. Bought you a A week of your, well, let's say you make 4,000 a month, so $1,000 is a week of your life. A week of your life, bought you a Imagine. That's one of the gifts, the Vilna Gaon says, is going to be the greatest gifts for people that sponsor Torah. Why? They're going to finally get the understanding of what actually happened here. I saw a video today that uh, they did for the founder of Art Scroll. And, Mamash, unbelievable. If you watch the video, you see what these people did. Tzadikim, Kdoshim. Based on human nature, based on logic, it should have never worked. It didn't make any sense financially. It didn't make sense in any way, shape, or form. But, Siyat Dishmaya they had was unbelievable. And they literally changed. They changed the English-speaking world and then later on the rest of the Torah world in modern society. Why? Simply by doing a mitzvah purely. For what? For Hashem. Not just for money. They ended up making money, but they didn't do it for money. And you see how each contributor, each person, he did the line of here, he did the translation, he did the edit, he did this, he did the book, he... and you see how so many people benefited out of this that are directly and indirectly involved in it, Imagine what they're going to see, what he's seeing. Now in Olam Shem look, forget the video, it's just what people see. The video is what people see. Look at what we see from shemite I'll show you everything he did. All the mitzvot. So anybody that's involved in Kiruv, anybody that's involved in um, gathering money for Torah, for the kolos, for the yeshivot, it's important to know these things because One of the biggest tikkunim in the world, one of the most difficult things in the world, is to raise money for Torah. And this is actually how Hashem wanted to create the world. Because if you notice, the Chafetz Chaim actually explained it. He says there's a very big difference that you'll see in the principles that underline the support system, meaning the, the, the heavenly support system of secular versus Torah. If you look at secular institutions, university, some college that's going to have 30,000 new wasting seat candidates every year. Another way to make a billion dollars a year by charging each student forty, fifty thousand 50,000 dollars a year to just waste their life for four years. Another innocent girls that didn't know right or left they don't know what to do over there. Each one of them has a new husband every week. For what? Their parents are paying forty thousand dollars for them to to do all this. So much—it's like sending—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's like sending your daughter to like a death camp. Sending your daughter to a death camp—it's might as well. She's innocent, Tzadikah, Kdushat, Torah. What she do in her life? He sent it to these places, these universities. I remember I went to college. I went to Binghamton University. Now, that university is is a state school in New York. And uh, statistics at the time, I don't know how it is now, they said that over 70% of the students were Jewish in this university. And the vast majority, how did they know? Because the vast majority of them were graduates of the yeshivas. The vast majority of them are graduates of Flatbush Yeshiva in Brooklyn and other places. So you see all of these kids with kippah, and these girls that are modest, enter the secular world. And Hashem Yirachem, what happens to these kids? Mamash, within a month, the guys, are most of them, become the biggest alcoholic drug addicts in the school. And the girls, they, they, they might as well go into uh, the oldest uh, business in the world. The parents think they're sending their kids to go get an education. They don't realize they're better off sending them to a concentration camp. Because at least they're going to save their neshama. At least they're going to save their neshama. No, he's going to uh, he's going to Yale. She's going to Binghamton. She's going to Princeton. She's going to Harvard, my lovely daughter. My lovely daughter is going to Harvard. Yeah, do you know your lovely daughter, what she's going to do in Harvard? I don't care who your daughter is. That's what happens in those places for four years. That's what happens. Everyone's a victim. No one escapes it. It's peer pressure, life pressure, this pressure, that pressure. You're sending your kid to Gainon by sending him to college. I've been there. People don't understand this. No, no. But he needs an education. No, he needs Allah Maba. not an education. Your education center, call him, There's enough doctors in the world. There's enough lawyers in the world. There's enough. We don't need another one. We need more Jews. There's plenty of ways to make a living without losing your soul. There's online programs you could study. There's local community colleges. There's plenty of ways. You don't need to send them to these schools, pay an arm and a leg, take loans that you can't pay back. And Hashem, what's going to happen to the kids? In By the time he comes back, he doesn't even remember he's a Jew. No, why? He came for spring break. He still had his keeper on. Yeah, it's just for you, Abba and As soon as he leaves your house, he takes it off, he puts a baseball cap on or nothing at all. I know I saw it. And no one is going to say it's wrong. Everyone's the same thing everywhere. It doesn't even matter if it's called Yeshiva University or any other university. It's the same thing everywhere. Why? That's college life. That's the Goyish world. That's what happens in those places. So now, Rabotai, when one of these institutions wants to open up shop, usually the Chafetz Chaim says, you'll see there's one big donor. One guy, 100 million, 200 million, 300 million, boom, opened. But the most modest yeshiva, Kolel, Bet Midrash, wants to open up shop, tiny little building, 500 donors, 5,000 donors, 50,000 donors, $10 at a time. Why? Why? They, they came to one one of the people that was collecting came to the, to the, 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 the Rav, came to the Chavetz Chaim rav I don't understand. I went all over the world looking for money, $5, $2, $500, 5000 this, that. But what's $5,000? i am barely uh, able to pay for the flight. Took me a year and a half just to collect the down payment for the building. Six months, we're trying to collect $250,000. Six months, we're trying to collect $250,000. We haven't reached 10%. We're still making do, we're still going, I have no idea how Hashem is making it happen. We're going in as if we already have 500,000. New movies coming out, that came out, another one's coming up Hashem, in, a, in a few days, the app's coming up Hashem, in a few days, the uh, website is getting upgraded, now Baruch Hashem, we just hired two amazing new employees, Baruch Hashem, Hashem is paying for it. I have no idea how though. You ask me, I have no idea how. If we can afford it, absolutely not. But somehow people are getting paid. Somehow it's all happening. But if you look at the uh, the the, the Facebook, the campaigns, that this doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. Of course, people donate other ways too, but still, it doesn't make any sense. You see, some of these institutions they collect a million dollars in twenty four hours for what? I don't know. Maybe they're going to take a few kids to Israel. Let's take a bunch of kids to Israel to go make sins on the beach. People donate a million dollars in twenty four hours. Let's make them Jewish. Nah, we don't need that. What do you, okay, you know what? I'll donate. Yeah, 18, One one-time chayim. I oh, you know I'll be generous today. Two times chayim, thirty-six dollars. Same guy donate thirty-six thousand to the people going to Israel. Thirty-six dollars. What happened? Chafetz Chaim gives an explanation. He says when it's something, it's a waste of time. That's not what Hashem wants. Hashem tries to eliminate it and the publicity of it immediately. What does he do? A million dollars, 24 hours. I don't want more people to find out about it. College wants a hundred million dollars, one donor, go, go, shh. No one knows about this place. Keep the sign, be quiet. Be quiet, here's a hundred million dollars, just be quiet. Don't tell anybody this university in Tennessee exists. Here's the hundred million, I'll give you two hundred million, just be quiet. But you want a koler, you want a yeshiva, you want kiruv, you want this? Ten dollars at a time. hundred dollars at a time. thousand at a time. Why? I want all of Am Yisrael to find out about it. Why? Because no one in the world has the merit to take the entire mitzvah by himself. No one has the merit. Why? Because this is what I want. Imagine, you had a butt call in Shamaim. Hashem says, all I want is one thing. And He tells you, this is, this is what I want. This is what I want. Hashem, I lived 20, 30, 40, 50 years. I'm looking for something to give you. Hashem says, I can give you something. There's one thing that I want. Here it is. You're not going to do everything in your life to do it. You're not going to j- jump off of a bridge if you have to, just to do it. Hashem only wants one thing in the world. Hashem says, I want everyone to know. I want everyone to know about this. So yes, it's painful. It's agonizing. It's embarrassing. It's this, it's that. Hashem says, that's what I want. That, the embarrassment and the agony, that, that's what I want. Why? That's how everybody's going to find out. We learn this from where? The Chafetz Chaim says, we learn this from the Bet HaMikdash and also where they sent people that had accidental murders. When people murdered somebody by accident, they killed somebody by accident. shouldn't say murder. They killed somebody by accident let's say, the uh, hammer fell from the ladder and uh, fell on the guy's head, he died. Accident, car accident, something like that. So the Deen in Torah says, you send the guy to Ira Miklat, You send him to the places. Why? To protect him from the family, because according to the Torah, the family can take their vengeance on him. So to protect him, you send him to these faraway cities. Now, these faraway cities they put signs everywhere. Of where? Make a right here, make a left here, make a right here, make a left here, make a right here, over here, here's the, 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 all the way to the entrance. Why the Chachami mask? Why there's so many signs everywhere? It says because the guy that made the mistake and killed somebody by accident, he is already getting a punishment. Now if he loses his way on the way to Iram he loses his way. He has to go to some houses. Hello, you know the Iga Miklag, you know the place where there's... So one of the kids, ah, Abba, look, he's a murderer, murderer, killer, look, look, he's a murderer. So he's going to get embarrassed. People know he's a murderer, that's why he's going there. He doesn't deserve that embarrassment, he doesn't deserve that punishment. So to lower, to lower his his suffering, Hashem says, put signs for him to get there right away, no problem. But what about the Betta Mikdash? Shouldn't the Betta Mikdash also have signs everywhere? No, no signs, no signs at all. Why? Hashem says, when somebody decides, I want to go to Betul Mikdash, I want him to get lost. Why I want him to get lost? So he goes to the house and says, Hello, where? which way is the Betul Mikdash? So the boy says, Abba, he's going to Betul Mikdash. You want to go? Can we go? Can we go, Abba? Can we go to Betul Mikdash? I want to go to Betul Mikdash. He's going to Betul Mikdash. Look, he has a kid my age. I want to hang out with him. You, you learn to talk with him. We go to Betul Mikdash. So now they go again. They get lost again. They go to another neighborhood. Hello, you guys know what Bet HaMikdash is? We just came from there and it's far. It's it. Oh, Abba, can we go? Let's go. Next thing you know, 5,000 people went to Bet HaMikdash. Everyone got lost. Everyone got to Bet Accidentally on purpose. That's what Hashem wants. Accidentally on purpose. You understand? So, Abutai, the Chafetz Chaim teaches us a chidush. If Hashem wants what you're doing, He's also going to want the suffering too. Why? He wants you to publicize it, and that's the Torah. Torah, that's pure. It's hard. It's hard to raise money for. It's a lot of suffering involved in it. So this, how I got even into this whole issue is that this also helps me the neshama. This helps me refine my neshama. All the suffering of collecting money, twenty dollars at a time sometimes, five thousand sometimes, two dollars one times, one dollar. It's craziness all the time. So, these types of donors, some of them are good, some of them are bad. So the Vilna Gaon says, if you're one of the good ones, just so you know, aside from the mitzvot, you're going to inherit, you're going to have something big. One day, you're going to finally see what you contributed to, how many boys and girls you actually gave a life to. With what? With your $10, with your $1,000, with your whatever money. And also, the ones that donate to these waste-of-life causes, like taking kids to some beach, or Hanukkah parties, or beach parties, or all these vaca- all these nonsense things that make people less Jewish, not more Jewish. They're also going to see. They're also going to say, oh yeah, see, you destroyed this family, and that family, and that family, and that family. Oh, you see, yeah, that, that, uh, the, that, that retreat for the wives, for the, for the for the wives. Oh yeah, see that that divorce that's on you, and that divorce on you, and that divorce on you. This family you broke, that fa- with that million dollar donation you had. Look how many families you broke with the million dollar donation you had. You can see everything. That's why the Chachamim say the biggest punishment, the initial punishment in Shemaim, is the Bushah, is the embarrassment of seeing the truth, if the truth is not so pretty the truth is not so pretty, is a lot of embarrassment. Why? i are going to show you how many marriages you broke from your uh, tight outfit. How many marriages you broke because of the wig business you have. How many uh, you know? How many kids you broke because you didn't have patience to teach them. And so on and so forth. What do you think? It's just this world. What you see? No, it's much more than that. So, Rav... Explains that again, this is a. This Mishnah teaches that there are four types of people and how their attitudes are t- towards giving. And Rav Moshe Al says something different. He says there are four types of people that are obligated to give, they're obligated to give Torah. Whether they do or not is a different story, but they're all obligated. There's different four types of how you're going to address your obligation to give. Now, the reason why is because in Gemara Baba Batra, page 8b, it says that according to the Torah, the Bate Din, the Bate Din, have the power to force people to give tzedakah. This doesn't happen really anymore. But technically, the din have the power to force people to give staka. So, here this Mishnah is talking about how you're going to react to the bed din forcing you to give staka. You'll be happy about it, unhappy about it, happy, not happy. And that's why the, the Rambam has eight, is a... Uh, Eight levels of giving stakah. Eight levels of giving stakah. He says the first is levels of these people. So the Rambam writes in uh, Ilchot Matanot Anim, chapter ten, alachah seven to fourteen. Talks about different things. We'll go into it briefly. These Just these eight. I'm not going to go into all the details just to save time. But he says, the first first uh, level, lowest one, is a person who gives reluctantly and with regret. Meaning, the Bed Deen said, you have to give. There's poor people. There's Avrechim. There's this. that You have to give. I don't want to. Have to. Or we're going to put you on Cherem. Can't count you on Minyan. If you do Shechita... It's pasul. Can't eat it anymore. You have to give. Okay, okay, here's a hundred dollars. Here's a thousand dollars. Here's whatever. I don't want to give. He says that's the lowest level of giver. He gives, but he doesn't want to. The second one is a person that gives graciously, but less than what he should. Meaning he gives. Hey, 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 hey Here's a hundred bucks. But in his heart, he doesn't really want to. He says, but he's not excited about it really. Okay, here's hundred bucks. Yeah could also mean that he gives less than what he should. could also mean he gives less than what he should. He gives a hundred instead of a thousand. He's able to afford a thousand, but he gives a hundred. Why? Ah, I'll get it from there somewhere else. I'll get the other nine hundred from somewhere else. The third is a person who gives what he should, but only after being asked. You know those people? They wait until you're begging in the street. To, 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 oh, you needed something. Why don't you tell me? Why do I have to tell you? Why do I have to tell you? Like, I remember after uh, a lot of different things that happened in my life, it wasn't exactly a uh, secret that I was going to struggle. All of a sudden, people were like, ah, why don't you tell me you needed help moving? When you got kicked out of the office and this, and now, why don't you tell me you need help? Everybody knew, buddy. It's on the news. You knew. I know your friend. He works. You worked for me. What do you mean? Yeah, you knew. Oh, there's one guy that I invested an enormous amount of time, energy, and money into. used to call him my friend. After I got sick, he disappeared. He didn't call, he didn't write, he didn't even visit me. Now, he heard from people I was dying. Not just I was uh, sick, I was dying, because at some point I was. Didn't call, didn't write, didn't nothing. And this is a person who lived in my house. I took him I paid for rehab twenty thousand dollars for him because he had drug problems and all types of problems I took him out of. He didn't even call me. Three years later, three and a half years later, he calls. Hey, so how you doing? I said, I'm busy. Right. No, I just wanted to see, no, I know it was a little messed up. I didn't call, I don't know. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's too late. Thanks. I don't need another friend. I don't need a friend like you. But that's really the same thing with most people. You, 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 the longer you live, the more you realize how disappointing people are. So the person who gives, but only after being asked—that's not such a great place. You shouldn't get to that point. You should be—you were given a brain, you were given eyes, you were given ears—not just to listen to La Shonara, not just to say lashon hara but also to pay attention. Ah, you know what? Look, his kids have a hole in their shirt. Now, if I see the kid with the hole in the shirt again, that means that it's because they don't have money. Now, if I, if it's only one time, it could be the kid just made a hole in the shirt. But if you keep seeing the hole in the shirt, that means there's problems that the kid, they don't have money to afford a new shirt. Go buy him a new shirt. You don't have to wait. on You need something. Don't ask him if he needs something. You obviously see on his kid, he needs something. If you see if the guy tells you I just lost my job, you don't have to uh oh how much does he have saved up? Oh he worked for Northrop Grumman, I think he was making probably sixty thousand. Yes, he probably has five months left, uh savings. Don't do accounting for other people. You found out your friend, you call somebody your friend, your brother, lost the job, come out to him. Hey, buddy, here's a thousand bucks till you get back on your feet. No, no, I don't need. Just take it until you know it. don't worry about it. Just take it. You have it. That's what Hashem gave you the money for. That's why. He, what do you think He gave you the money for? So you can buy a new car. That's the point. That's also why He made you friends with this person to give you an opportunity to do such a mitzvah. But if you're if you're the type of person that's waiting for people to tell you until they're homeless in the streets, you know, not only you're missing out on most of the mitzvot because people are embarrassed to tell the, to the other people that they're suffering, they're struggling, and so on. If you're able to help, you must help. The fourth is a person who gives before being asked. So it's not like we thought that if we already go out there and volunteer ourselves and give and give and give, we think we would tzaddikim. He says, no, it's only number four. There's something better. There's something better. Number five is a person who gives without knowing to whom he or she is giving to. Although the recipient knows the identity. You gave to somebody, but you don't know who. There's a uh, organization that gives to poor people, Avrechim and so on. You give to the organization without asking too many questions. Who would you give? How many kids does he have? Well, give me, send me his picture. I want to talk to him. Does he really need it? No, I'm giving. For That's it. I'm giving because I, I know I need to give. That's the fifth. Sixth is a person who gives without making his or her identity known. Meaning, the person that got it from you doesn't know you gave it to them. Instead of saying, hey, hey give, it, give him a thousand dollars, or give somebody a thousand dollars, no, you actually just leave the thousand bucks at his door. He doesn't know who gave it to him. He doesn't know. You know who you gave it to, but he doesn't know you gave it to him. Why? Because he can still save face and not feel embarrassed every time he sees you. Oh, yes, the guy helped me out. Seventh is a person who gives without knowing to whom he or she is given to, and the recipient does not know to whom he received it from. This is both sides. The guy that got it doesn't know where he got it from. The guy that gave it doesn't know who he gave it to. That's number seven. What's number eight? A person who helps another person become self-supporting by a gift or a loan or by finding employment for a recipient. Now you're just giving him money. You're giving him a future. You're making him. You're not giving the guy fish. You're teaching him how to fish. Now, it also says giving a person a loan, and a lot of people are going to and are continuously mistranslating it. Why? They're cheap. They don't really want to give. But they're willing to lend you the money as long as you're going to give it back to them. So they're going to say, listen, I'll lend you $50,000, but you have to give it back to me. I won't even charge you interest because you know you're a Jew, I can't charge you interest. But you have to give it back to me and uh, give me your house as collateral. Give me the business collateral or whatever. I, I, you need to give it back to me. And they think this is the eighth level. It's not the eighth level. It's not the eighth level. It's not automatic that it's the eighth level. Why? Because first and foremost, what are you giving it for? Is it gonna make him self sufficient? Second of all, did he ask you for a loan or is he asking for a gift? Because if a person is looking for a gift, he's looking for staka. He's saying, no, no, I'll lend you some money. I'll lend you some money. I didn't ask you for a loan. I need to, I'm not looking to give back the money. So in essence, what's happening here is the person that's trying to give the loan, in essence, really what he's telling you is, that, listen, I'm too cheap, too cheap to really give it to you, but I care enough about you to try to help you out. But I like my money more than I like you. You're not even at the first level. You're not even. At the, it's not even. St- okay, nice. You did a mitzvah. You lent somebody money, but it's not the eighth level. Don't, don't. Let's not try. You know, people try to like manipulate the Torah to like try to look like they're Moshe Rabbeinu, while they're doing the maasim of Bilam. Let's not pervert the Torah into something that it's not. You have, you have to understand. Hashem knows your heart. It's one of the thirteen principles of faith. He knows why you're giving it. Why not? He knows if you're really trying to give to make the guy self-sufficient, or you're giving it because you're too cheap. To really give what you're supposed to, but you want to make you want to save your face because everybody knows you're rich. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll donate ten thousand. Yeah, but you could donate ten million. So these eight. We'll go into more details of what this specific part means. But I, it seems like I mean we're already almost mostly out of time. We have uh, maybe another a little bit of time left. But as you can see, this Mishnah is going to take a little time. Mishnah is going to take a little time, All each one of these Mishnayot, it depends how much you want to go into it, how deep we're going to the Mishnah, how much we're surgically going to go into the Mishnah to really fix our Neshamot. But here we see that giving is not so simple. Now, the first type, the first type of giver, first type of giver, Is a person. Translation. One who gives. One who wishes to give himself. But he doesn't want other people to give. This is a person that has evil eye on others. So what does this mean? There's a few commentaries on it. Meiri says, this person is really giving, and he doesn't want other people to give. Why? Because the only reason he's giving is not because he cares about the cause. He doesn't care about the cause, the Bet Knesset, the organization, the yeshiva. He cares less about it. What does he care about? He cares about his ego. He cares about his image. He wants people to know, yeah, you see that school? Yeah, I built it. You see that building over there? That's me. You see that, Rabbi? I take care of him. I take care of him. I did this. I did this. I, 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 I. This is one type of commentary, one of the opinions of this type of giver, where he wants to keep the whole thing to himself. He doesn't want anyone else to give. (coughs) The Hasid Yavitz takes it a different uh, direction. He explains that this person in reality, this person in reality is cheap. He's a stingy person. He's stingy really, he's giving but he's really stingy. So even though he considers the amount he gave sufficient for the needs of the poor, it bothers him that they should receive more from other people. Meaning he gives, he gives the guy a hundred bucks, he donates a hundred dollars, two hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars, whatever it is. But when he starts seeing other people donate to the campaign, he's like, ah, he doesn't need all that money. Should have been enough already what he got from me. He wants to be the only one that gives. Ah, come on, you guys don't have to give. I already gave him a thousand bucks, enough for him, it's enough. He decides what what's enough for him. He decides what's enough for other people. He decides what they should live on. You know such people? Such people just exist in the world. Nah, I gave you. Didn't I give you enough money two months ago? Yeah, it was enough for two months ago. It's enough to pay the rent two months ago. Okay, so why It's not enough? Yeah, it was enough to pay the rent two months ago. It's gone. They didn't give it back to me after. It's not like I lived for two months and then they gave me the money back from the rent. The landlord doesn't give you back the money after you live in the house. He keeps it. There's no like return. Do over. Do over. No, we finished. You spent the money. Do over. Give it back to me now. No, no, you doesn't give it back to me. I spent it already. It's gone. Psh, disappeared. Disappeared into the wind. Why? But I, I already gave you, no? These people, they think that what they give is enough. They don't want anyone else to give. The Benayot Berama says even deeper. It's even deeper. Another step. Not to this, more. Just to another another step. Th- he says this person that wants to, that he gives, but he doesn't want other people to give. This is a special type of miserly, miserable person. Why? He says this is referring to people that are wealthy that look to help only people that are poor. They want to help only people that are need aid. Need They don't have any other place to go. And if they see somebody that comes from a rich family in need, they don't help him. Why? He's like, ah, oh, let his family help him. He comes from a rich family, let his family help him. Instead of chasing the mitzvah like you're supposed to. It doesn't matter where he comes from, what family he comes from, whether he's from the Rothschild family, or from this family, or that family. It makes no difference. If you see he's in need, is supposed to give. No, 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 no. His family will do it. His family will do it. Why? Why does he care so much that his family will help him? Because in reality, he's jealous of his family. And in reality, what he wants, he wants them to spend the money so they have less. So now he has more in comparison to them. Because in reality, it has nothing to do with giving. It's a competition. He wants them, their money to go down, and his money to stay the same or go up. It has nothing to do with the with the, misken, the guy that needs. He's just a victim. He's a collateral damage in a war. Despicable people. But these people exist. They're, they're your friends. They're your buddies. They're family. They're the average guy. This is average people. Without Torah, this is the best case scenario actually. This is the best case scenario actually. You'll see. What happens later? Shem Because this is human nature. Human nature without Torah is evil. He's so concentrated on the love of money, he forgets there's a human that needs it. He forgets there's people and personalities and families and little children and little babies and everything, he forget, it's, it's, everything becomes like a number for him. It's like when the government does testing without telling the people, they put stuff in the water or the food, they're like, yeah, yeah, we just, we just want to see what happened. What do you mean what happened? 15,000 people died. Oh, yeah, that wasn't supposed to happen. What do you mean? Maybe you, maybe you should have told the people before you start, uh, you, know, you know, putting poison all over the air in that town? Maybe you should have told them. Maybe that you should have given them a choice. Ah, yeah, I guess you're right. It's too late now. This is this is this is the same thing. This is this is where this type of midah, this character trait, travels to. You see these programs that governments do. It's also run by people. Government is people. You know this uh, Planned Parenthood. بزיחam, it's an abortion clinic everywhere murders millions of people every second. Now, what do they do? Part of what they do, it wasn't enough that they're murdering people. It's not enough that they're murdering people. It's not enough. For them, no. It's not, it's not, they're not patul until they for sure have the seventh level of gain. So what do they do now also? They sell the body parts. They sell the, 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 the babies they murder. The babies they murder. They sell the body parts. They sell the body parts to a couple of institutions, one in specific, that uses those body parts of the babies that they murdered in cold blood, for what? To make food coloring and food the flavoring. This is not a conspiracy. This is all in the open. You can look at it. Pepsi, You know, Pepsi, Pepsi, Cola. They signed a contract with one of these companies that puts, puts, uh, uses the human body parts for flavoring, for food. That's why, if you haven't noticed, some of their products are not kosher anymore. Not all. Some of them. $36 million deal. So I don't have a plant parent that can pill babies every single day. They want to make more money. They want to sell the body parts. And they have all these terms. They have this all on camera. All on camera, the CEO of the Shem Achim, the Shait Meru Shait. Haman. Haman is looking from gay He's like, much worse than me. These people are much worse than me. Selling body parts to go people eating humans, not even realize it. When you say she, Bauch shelo goi, you have no idea what it means. When you eat kosher, when you eat kosher. You don't realize how much of a chesed from Hashem, how much kindness from Hashem, Hashem is doing for you by you eating kosher. You're not a cannibal. If you knew what's in non-kosher food, I did watch you one time a few years ago of all the different things they put in food today. I have this document that the Rabbinite made a few years ago of all the different food flavorings, of what they put in food. Honestly, while giving this, she almost vomited. The stuff they put in non-kosher food, oh, parts of, of animals that have rabies, the 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 mamash disgusting disgusting poison. It's not just poison because it's not kosher. It's mamash disgusting and despicable. I don't know who even thinks of these ideas. The rectum of the of the raccoon, the rectum of the raccoon is in at least three hundred different types of food in America. Out of all the things, out of all the animals, this is the one body part they decide to make food flavoring from. Or, uh, or uh, some other animal's urine. They put it in, in food. Or hair. Or all types of things that they put. When you eat kosher food, you have no idea what kind of kindness Hashem is doing you. And human body parts. And human body parts. And they didn't volunteer, the babies. The, volunteers, the, the babies did not volunteer for you, eat, for you to eat them. They didn't volunteer. It wasn't uh, organ donors. It wasn't up to them, he's skinning, Poor kids. So, the woman that does the abortion, when she goes up to Shemaim, they're going to show, look what you did to the kid. Look what you did to the kid. He could have been, the next G'dol you turn him into uh, food coloring. Look what you did. They're going to show the whole picture. The whole picture, going to show what kind of bushah she's going to get. What kind of embarrassment she's going to get for what she did to the kid. No, but it was only four months pregnant. That was only five months pregnant. No, it's a baby. It's a living baby. It's a living baby. What? What do you think? After forty days, it's it. it's living. It's one hundred percent living. There's a heart uh, already after forty days. Forty days, it's it. it's living. It's one hundred percent. No different than you, just smaller. Well, because it's inside, it's not. It's not okay. If you took it out outside and murdered it, it's it's, it's. it's. You go to jail. But as long as it's inside, it's. It's okay. It's not a baby. This. This is. This is human nature. This is human nature without Torah. And it's not enough. It's not enough for them to just kill the kids. They want to make food out of it too. This is the viciousness of humans. Even the crocodile doesn't do such a thing. The crocodile that sometimes eats its own kind. Eats his own kid sometimes, even he doesn't do such a thing. So, the Mishnah is describing a person who wants others to give because he has ainara on their money. He doesn't want them to have money, he wants their money to go down and his to go up. The Chatam Sofer offers a deep psychological insight into the emotional needs of the poor people. He says merely providing them with physical necessities, food, uh, house, drink, that's the clothing. He says it's insufficient, it's just not enough. Why? The poor must be provided with the feeling that they're normal and productive functioning members of society. You want to really help a poor person? You have to make them feel normal. So a person must therefore give them enough so that they in turn can give charity to other people. So this, his commentary, he took deep down into this Mishnah, and he says, The one who gives, but does not uh, uh, want others to give, He took a different uh, approach where he says, this is a person who gives, but does not give enough. Does not give enough to allow the poor to give to other people. Why? He says, listen, if I give him too much, then he's not going to come back to me. He's going to be already on his own. If I give him too much, then uh, maybe he's going to overspend. Some people say, listen, if I give this guy 20 bucks, maybe he's going to... you know, maybe he's going to overspend it, so if I, maybe I should just give him five bucks a day. Why are you doing his accounting? If he's untrustworthy, don't give him anything. If he's a trustworthy, de- decent human being, give him everything you can. What's the problem? One time there was a guy that uh, every year would give money to a certain poor person. And one of his friends said, listen, I'm looking for, uh, I'm looking for somebody to give. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know. It's, uh, I heard you give somebody. He goes, yeah, but... Can't give a, I can't tell you who he is. Why not? He's poor still? He goes, yeah, he's poor, but he's my poor guy. If you give him to he's not going to be poor anymore. I'm not going to have to. I'm not going to have anybody to give anymore. she wants to keep him poor. Now you think this is a joke, right? So Rabbi Zusha, Rabbi Zusha Minapoli, Napoli, hired a person that would give him money on a regular basis and give him the money to He had the Issachar and Zvulun deal with him. He gave money every month, and so on. One day, the people around this guy that was giving saw that he's succeeding. He's really succeeding. He has a lot of money. He's successful, and so on and so forth. I said, what's what's, what's the secret? No, no, I don't want to tell you. No, what's the secret? What's the secret? I give, I give. I give my Marcel my this, my that. To who? I, we all give. To who? Who are you giving it to? Oh, I, I give it to Rabbi Zusha. He's like, oh. You give it to Rabbi Zusha? Really? Psst, wow. You know, it's good you give to Rabbi Zusha. It's good. It's just, no question asked. But if, imagine, if Hashem blessed you so much for giving it to Rabbi Zusha, imagine how much he would bless you if you gave it to his Rabbi the Magidmi Mezrich. He said, you know what? You're right. You're right. He stopped giving it to Rabbi Zusha and he started giving to his rabbi. And as he saw... Two, 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 fast forward a little while forward... He lost all of his money. All the success that he had... Gone. All of the success he had... Gone. Bye bye. See you. He comes to Rabbi Zusha. He says... Oh, I know... Hashem is telling me I did something wrong... When I was giving to you... I had success... I gave it to you, Rabbi, I'm sorry, I don't know what I did, I don't know what I was thinking. But, but again, why did Hashem take everything? Rabbi Zusha said, when you were giving to me, you weren't really asking, is Rabbi Zusha the biggest tzaddik in the world? You gave it innocently. You said that, oh, I'm doing something good, I'm learning Torah, I'll give it to him. So in Shamaim, when your mitzvah arrived in Shamaim, they dissected it, they analyzed it, they looked at it, well hold on a second, before we look before we let the computer pop out the result, hold on a second. Is he reviewing his mitzvah that way or is he giving Tamim? Complete with the closed eyes, he's trusting that Abizusha is good enough to give it to. Oh he's doing it with closed eyes. Let us give him the reward with closed eyes. Let's not analyze him. If he does we'll give him the reward as if he's complete and he's deserving of the reward. Then when you asked later on, is Rabbi Zusha the biggest Sadiq? He said, nah, you know what? Maybe the Magid is better. Maybe, maybe his rabbi is better. So in Shamayim, the same it's Alright, So okay, let's analyze. Oh, he's analyzed who's the biggest Sadiq. Okay, so we have to analyze who he is. And once they analyze you in Shamayim, they said, Oh, wait a minute. Even though he's giving to the biggest tzaddik, look how many sins he has. Look how many this he has. Look how many this he doesn't deserve. Even what we gave him, he doesn't deserve. Just like he analyzed, they analyzed and they realized not only you don't deserve the reward apparently, but you don't even deserve what you got. So they took it back. When you didn't analyze, you were tamim with Gav Hashem. You were like Noach. Noach was complete with Hashem. He just whatever Hashem said, he did. Start asking questions, they started asking questions in Shemaim. The beti in Shemaim, they started asking questions about you, and they saw, oh, 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 you don't deserve what you're getting. So you did it. You did it. it has nothing to do. No one is uh, looking to punish you. You did it, and they did it. Measure for measure. Measure for measure. That's how the Torah works, Rabotai. Now this brings me to the next point and we'll finish there because this, uh, this point alone, I don't know how long it's going to take, but if you understand it, I learned it just today with my rabbi. If you understand it, it was worth coming to the world just for that. Now, when we get to the mitzvah, mitzvot, averot, reward, punishment, how Hashem runs the world, Most people can understand, superficially at least, that there's reward and punishment in the world, that if you give and you're generous, then Hashem will be generous with you. If you forgive, then Hashem will forgive you. If you are gentle, Hashem will be gentle with you. If you're happy, Hashem will be, show you happiness also. If you're kind, if a person is evil and he makes sins, then such will be his own consequences. Now this is something that we all have in the back of our mind. Hopefully, Bezat Hashem, with enough shiurim and enough torah it becomes in front of our minds. But still, people ask the same question over and over and over again, of how do I apply this all to my day-to-day life? Like, okay, olam abba, ganedin, Gainom, it's all great, I want to go to ganedin, and I don't want to go to Ganom. everything is good, yes, I want to avoid it, I want to fine. What about here and now? What about the suffering and the anguish here? For the most part, most of a person's life is suffering. That's just a reality. Most of a person's life is suffering. Now, there's obviously levels of suffering. But nonetheless, it's not all roses the whole year. The the average person works the whole year to hopefully take one vacation. He works 12 months to take a week vacation, two weeks vacation. He works the whole year so he has, uh, you know... Food every day that he enjoys for uh, 20 minutes, a half hour. Meaning that you spend 24 hours a day to get enough joy that's going to get you, let's say, out of 24 hours. If you're happy out of the 24 hours, you're enjoying the money. An hour? Wow! Wow! Meaning that most of life is tough, it's difficult. And there's different levels of suffering. Now sometimes a person does good things. Sometimes you find such people, such good people. They do good things. And it's the common question of how come bad things happen to good people. Moshe Rabbeinu asked the same question. Tzadik Viralo. How could it be? person is a good person. Bad things happen. He was generous, but he lost all of his money. He was honest, but uh, his wife cheated on him. He was this, but something this happened. He was this, and something and he got sick. How come? Like What happened? So, people ask these questions. People ask these questions all the time. The Ramban, I love a shalom, Nachmanites, he had his top student got sick, very sick deathly sick, and he knew he was going to die. And the Ramban, who knew the secrets of what happens in Shemaim, all types of Kabbalah and so on, he told him, listen, I can give you these several different names of and things to say when you get up to Shemaim, and it'll open all of the gates of Gan Eden for you. These special names, special things to say when you get up there in Shemaim, you say them, they're going to open all the Ghanedim gates for you. But I'll give it to you for a price. What's the price? I want you to get me answers of what's happening in Shemaim about these few questions. And he gave him a few questions because, because, because right now there's a lot of din on Shemaim. There's, it seems like there's, a, there's Midata din. There's harsh punishments on Am Yisrael right now. Am Yisrael is suffering and I want to know why. I want to know what's happening. What happened that's causing this suffering? So I'm going to give you these, uh, this, these questions, and I need you to come back once after you die. Come back to me and tell me, what do they say about this in Shammai? Because I've been looking, I can't find. Okay. And that happened. He gave him the note, they buried him with the note. After he died. And as it would happen, after a little over a week after he died, he comes back to the Ramban in a dream. He says, "Hi, for Thank you very much. The, all the things that you told me, they worked perfect. Mamash, I used the uh, the psukim, the things that you said, and all the gates were open to me, and I came in. I'm so happy. It's amazing. Baruch Hashem! Wow." So, okay, no. So, so what happened? What about my deal? What about my my questions? Because I'm sorry, I'm sorry for the rav. That's the problem. He says, as soon as I arrived here, there's no questions. Not that, not that you're not allowed to ask questions. The questions don't exist because everything is clear. Everything is clear. There's no more questions of why and who and when. There's no, There's no such thing. Everything is just clear. You understand everything. Everything that ever happened. Why and when and who and what. There's no such thing. These questions you have, they're not questions. They're not questions up here. Such was also the story of one of the other Chachamim, the brother of Abizusha. He was trying to collect money to build a big mikveh for the community and uh, they weren't giving the money. He said, listen, whoever is going to donate, I promise you that when I go up to Shemaim, I will vouch for you for Hashem to give you money. Ten times more. And such happened, a bunch of a few people gave a bunch of money. Later on he died, and they saw that they weren't making more money. In fact, some of them lost money. Started asking questions. So he came to the rabbis uh in, in a dream. He told him, Listen, tell them not to uh question. I went up to Shemaim and don't worry, it's just it's taking a little time. Why? Once you get up to Shemaim, they don't talk about money here. It's embarrassing to talk about money. It's considered like filth. It's considered like waste, like excrement. It's disgusting to talk about it here, so I'm embarrassed to mention even the topic of money next to the Kisei ha-kavod. I'm right next to Moshe, aaron They're all next to me. I'm embarrassed to, to mention money. It's like uh, you're in a meeting with the uh, king of the world. You're going to mention, listen, uh, there's uh, dog poop uh, outside your house. There's something wrong with you. I mean, it's embarrassing. There's no questions in Shammai. There's no questions. But here we have questions. So there were some chachamim that literally understood some of the things that were happening in shamai. The Shla Kadosh. The Shla Kadosh from about 400 years ago. He, Shla stands for, the acronym for the book, the famous book, or now the with commentary on it, it's five books in Hebrew, and I think it's three in English. Stands for Shnei Luchot Abrit. The two tablets of the Ten Commandments. And it's a book that's full of Musar and messages and different things that are just extraordinary. And mamash, everyone understood that this is a Kodesh Kodeshim, a person that understands what's happening in shemaim. It's not just understanding to do mitzvot, understanding some commentary on Torah. Mamash understands what's happening in shemaim. How Hashem runs the world, if you will, in his section on Masechet Yoma, Perek Derech Hayim, Tochachat Musar. He gives something extraordinary. He says, Matsati k'tuv." I found it written, meaning by the sages, that there are seven. I'll just read it in English just to save time. There are seven things that in essence postpone reward. Postpone blessing. They put it on the side. So if let's say for example somebody did a job you're supposed to get paid. Some payment, most of the payment is in Shemaim but in some payments according to the Torah here. To allow him to do more mitzvot and so on and so forth. He says there are certain actions that a person does that says delays the payment. He puts it on the side. Hashem says, Oh! Put it on the side, don't pay him. Don't pay him. Yeah, but he did. Don't pay him. Why? Look what he did. And this is what he says Shvat Shekel, a single Shvat Shekel, one swearing in Hashem's name, that's a lie. Oh, I promise I'm going to donate. And you don't donate. Like this one guy that arranged a lecture for me. He said, yeah, yeah, I promise I'm going to donate. I go to a lecture. What happened? He didn't donate a dollar. Now, I don't care. Baruch Hashem, Hashem pays one way or another. Hashem, whatever belongs to me. Hashem will send. He already decided in Oshana, Rosh It doesn't change my life. But him, he's in problems. Why? He says, Shvat Shekin Achat. One time you swore. Not every day. One time. One time you said, Oh, I promise I'm going to give it back to you tomorrow. I promise I'm going to give you it back tomorrow. I promise I'm going to come. promise I'm going to come to the Promise, I promise I'm going to come to the promise, promise I'm going to donate. What do you need? Yeah, yeah, I got you. I got you. Tell me. One time you lie on a shavua, It puts, it procrastinates the payment for 100, 100 blessings. 100 things that Hashem wants to give you in Shemaim. Eh, a hundred, One lie. Hashem Echad. mea One time you desecrated Hashem's name. One time. One time, you were caught cheating on something, and uh, and, and they caught you. Oh, look at this Jew! Look what he's doing. Hashem. One time, not every day. Hashem. One time. Puts on the side one hundred of your prayers. You're praying for a cure. You're praying for panasa. You're praying for, for zivug. You're praying for a baby. You pray, pray so much you cry. I'm not talking about prayer where you have no kavanah. I'm talking about the best of your prayers. The ones that you're crying like uh, like somebody just, uh, the Holocaust just happened. Like those types of prayers. One hundred of those, on the side. Nothing. Do not answer him. Don't answer him. Why? One khilulashem, One. One khilulashem. Forget about it if if, if you do it daily. Each one, 100 of these prayers just went to the side. It's not cancelled. It's just to the side. It's not paid. You're not going to get paid. Do not pass go. (inaudible) Bizui. Bizui Echad Shel Torah doche Mea Smachot one time, you disrespected Torah. Like this guy, that one time wasn't it was in the Bechnesa we were doing a shiur, and uh, there wasn't that many people. It's not my fault. What can I do? I don't have enough schryot and shamayim, so sometimes not many people come to my shiurim. So the guy wanted to make me feel good about it. So what did he do? He laughed in my face. He's like ah, well wow, look, nobody came for you. Why well, you have the whole camera and everything, and only like five people here, six people here. Ha! That's a complete fun of my face. Like it's not like it's not, I'm not feeling bad enough about it myself. You study the whole day, the whole night. You don't work. You're off Wall Street. You're, you're struggling with everything in the world. But Hashem, enough kapara as it is. No, it's not enough. He wants to. Nice. Give it to me. Make it feel good right before the shoe not after the shield Before the shoe because you have to be in good mood in the shiul. Not enough. No, he wants to give it to you nice. And Satan Mamash, himself sent the guy. He says, That person made fun of Torah. What do you do? What's Hashem wanted to give you 100 different types of celebrations. Your daughter getting married, your son getting married, the brit milah, this, that all of those things. You're not getting them now. How about that? On the side, a hundred of them. A hundred of them. Do you understand? It. This is a, craziness. If we understood what's happening in Shemaim, you're scared to walk. You're scared to speak. I'm scared to read this to you. Nevelut One time you curse. One curse. One time you use inappropriate language. One hundred promises that the Torah says to you, Im telechu, to Hashem's promises. If you do my things, I'm going to give you this, 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 I'm going to give you palasa, and the rain's going to come in time, and you're going to have kids, and this, and this. A hundred of, of those promises. We're not saying maybe it's a zgula. No, no. Promises from the Torah... Hashem promised you a hundred things. One time you cursed. One time. eh, Put it in a do not call list. Whenever he calls, hang up the phone on him. Why? Look what he said. Look at the mouth he has. He cursed one time though. Yes, one time. Why? Your mouth was given to you to say Divrei Kodesh. You cannot use the same mouth that speaks to Hashem and says Hashem's name to speak like a truck driver that just came out of the sewer. This is very difficult. But this is what's happening here. It's not an an invention. One time you went to the market and uh, you decided you're going to take one pistachio. One pistachio. Yes, The guy has, like we said, the guy has uh, 50,000 pistachios in the sack. You took one. You took one. You didn't pay for it. It's one pistachio. One time you stole 100 blessings from Shemaim that's already yours. You're not getting it now. Put it aside. For what? For the pistachio. For the half a cent pistachio, you just ruined 100 blessings that you already got, that's yours. Not getting it now. For one pistachio. Mm-hmm. One time you decide to get into a debate for no reason. There's really no reason. It's ego. It's not like you're fighting for the Torah, for the Kabbalah Torah. You just want to be right. has nothing to do with the Torah. Nah, you don't know what you're talking about. So, so, so tell me the right. I don't know, but it's not you. You don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't believe what you're saying. I don't believe what you're saying. No, it's, it's not for me. No. You're making it up. How do you know I'm make it up? You have, a, you, have, you have a proof that I'm making it up? Is what I'm saying wrong? No, no. I just, it, it just can't be. It can't be. And you start telling people, no, no, I don't believe it. Don't, don't. Like this one guy wrote on the uh, commentary. One of the commentary. Oh, listening to, to me. Listening to this guy at the beginning of Shu. he wanted to make sure that it's right in the beginning of Shu. Ah, listening to this guy is a waste of time. Like he has nothing to do with his life. He has to go on my on my on my uh, thing and on uh, Facebook Live to tell people. Ah, listening to this guy is a waste of time. Now, if one person, if one person didn't study Torah because of him, now he saw oh, listening to this guy is a waste of time. One person listened to him. This, what happened here, is not the only thing. Because it says in the Torah, anyone that gets in the way of Torah is cursed with arur. Arur is the worst curse in the entire Torah. You got in the way of Torah. But in addition to that, if that's not enough for you, it says, docheh mea parnasot. A hundred different ways of Eretz Hashem wanted to give you parnasah, now you're not getting it. Go starve now. Oh, you're surprised you didn't have money to pay the rent this month? Oh, you should watch your mouth then. Oh, you're starving? Are you hungry? You haven't eaten in two days? Oh, okay, you should watch your mouth. You, you, you should use your mouth to, to bless Hashem and say good things instead of saying Kozum for no reason. Oh, you want to eat? Ah, yeah. You should have thought about that. You should have thought about that before you uh, said something such things. Lashon HaRa. Lashon one time you say Lashonara about someone that's righteous. If he's a Rasha, there's no Lashonara. There's no deen of Lashonara against someone that's a Rasha. If the guy's a Mechalel Shabbat, there's no Lashonara deen against him. If the guy's a Kofer, there's no Lashonara. You can say whatever you want against him. He's a Rasha. I'm talking about someone that's righteous. Someone that's known to be a kosher person. You say Lashonara about him. Let's say you did Tshuva on a hundred different things. You fixed your eyes, you fixed your nose, you fixed your mouth, you fixed your everything. A hundred chuvot, a hundred things, you fixed. Now, cancelled. Put on a side. Do not enter. Do not pass go. Put them in jail. Why? One Lashonara. One. One Lashonara. We're not saying a hundred. We're not saying this is a person that sins non-stop. We're not saying this is one of the people that has a website against me, or against Rabbi Mizrahi, or against anyone else that's actually doing real Kiruv in the world takes our videos and manipulates them, makes videos against us, like this Chabadnik made a, a one-hour video against me this week. One hour, if you guys didn't see it. One-hour video, all he does is insult me. Bau Hashem. Bau Hashem, he just gave me all the mitzvot, the few that he has in his life, I got all of them, Bau Hashem. So I started the week good. But one-hour video, all he does is insult me. I'm Sephardic, and I don't know what I'm talking about, and I'm this, and I'm that, and I don't know Chabad and the Rebbe is Mashiach, and you need the Rebbe in order to get to God. Mamash, idolatry 100%. Idolatry 100%. I was thinking about, maybe I should publicize this to show people what the real crazy people that I'm talking about, what they really are. Because he, mamash buries himself with his own comments. But I said, you know what? It's already enough, Chilul Hashem, what he's doing already. For me to publicize this imbecile, maybe somebody else is going to get crazy from what he says or something. I don't know. It's like... I didn't publicize it, but an hour video, Mamash. The guy took an hour of his life, he did not stop insulting me for a second. Solid. Solid one hour. If I was there, he probably beat me up. Mamash! That's not the first video. You know how many videos have been made about me? I'm already it's like Hollywood against me. Got the guy from Arizona, got this guy, got Bo Hashem. A list, it's a growing list. These people, I don't even know if they can do tshuva. Honestly, I don't know if, they, if such a person can do tshuva. I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I'm not saying they can't. I don't know if they can. Because if Menashe did tshuva, I'm sure, may, most likely they can. I just don't know. How do you do tshuva for such chilul How like it's it's like I mean you have to mamash like make opposite website or something. I don't really know. I don't know if it's possible. Because even if you do mitzvah, it doesn't cancel out the avirah. You still have to pay for it. It's not like one cancels out the other you'll get paid for the mitzvah, you'll get punished for the avirah. So, I don't know. All I know is over here, Rabotai Kareem, one Lashonara, not a website, not a movie for an hour, not a clip, not a a comment that's going to influence 500 people. No. One Lashonara to one person. You said to your friend, oh, do-do-do-do-do. The the hundred things that you worked your blood, sweat, and tears to do tshuva on are now put on the side. This is scary. But this is how Hashem runs the world. This is not a pun. These are no. So you know, there's a special note here. This is not punishment. What I just told you for the last few minutes, these are not punishments. This is not punishment. I didn't tell you punishments. This is just a reality of the outcome of our actions. This is not a punishment. These are not punishments. Punishment is in a different place. Punishment is different. This is not punishment. This is just an outcome. This is just an outcome of our actions. Somebody jumps off a building, the outcome is, he will hit the floor eventually. Gravity. That's an outcome. Cause, effect. This is cause, effect. Cause and effect, that's it. It's not punishment. Which means, if we don't start watching our mouth, our eyes, our ears, our nose, everything, why are you so surprised if you don't get blessing? Why are you so surprised that your kids can't pass a test, a single test in school? Why are you so surprised that your wife doesn't even want to look at you? Forget be with you. She doesn't want to look at you. Why are you so surprised that your husband doesn't pay attention to you? Why are you so surprised that your bank account is always empty, even though you work the whole month? It's always empty. Never money. There's never any money. The guy works 900 hours a day never has any money. You ever see such a thing? Unbelievable. So many people tell me, I work, I'm always working, I can't come to the shoe I'm always working, working. I'm saying, oh, you should be a billionaire by now. You work 900 hours a day, you never have time for shield to write. It's unbelievable. How many billions do you have? At least donate to Marcel. No, I'm broke, I don't have any money. What, what do you work for? What do you work for? You play sand? You play with the sand outside in a sandbox? What do you work for? You work so many hours, you don't have any money. What kind of job do you have? Where you, you you volunteer? What are you doing? How do you work so much, you don't have any money? Except they don't have any money. There was no blessing. There's no blessing. Why? Because they don't follow the Torah, and that makes them make sins that are destroying the blessing they're supposed to get. There's blessing in Shemaim they're supposed to get, but because they didn't learn Torah, they're ruining it. So They say Lashonara. They look at things that are not uh, appropriate. They take the little pistachio because they think it's not a big deal. They, they, they think it's a joke, but this is what happens. They desecrate Hashem's name without even realizing it's desecrating Hashem's name. They don't realize it's desecrating Hashem's name, but it still is. And that's why Rabotai, the gemara, the gemara in masechet yomah. The Gemaraimasechet Yoma finalize here, but this is important. I just, I think I have it. The Masechet Yoma talks about what is really tshuva? What's this tshuva? This tshuva, what is it? Let's see, maybe I have it. I'm going to read you from the Gemara so you don't think I'm making this up. Because a lot of people think for some reason that I have nothing to do with my life and just make things up. I'm like an author. Says Rabbi Matia ben Harash, Gemara 71, page 86a. Rabbi Matia ben Harash asked Rabbi Lazar ben Azaria, when Rabbi Lazar was in Rome, Have you heard the teaching that there are four distinctions in the process of tshuva that Rabbi, that Rabbi Shmei would derive? He said to him, No, there's not four, but there's three. And tshuva is necessary with each one of them. He says, these are the categories. If one violates a positive mitzvah and does tshuva, he's forgiven even before he moves from his place, meaning immediately. He violates a positive mitzvah, he does chuvah, immediately he's forgiven. The source, Jeremiah 3.22, return, shuvu banim Return you uh, troublesome kids. You, uh, you know, Hashem is calling us little uh, troublemakers, little troublemaker kids. Is <clears throat> implying that if once re- once a person repents, he's immediately forgiven. Now, if a person violates a prohibition, meaning this is a negative mitzvah, this is Hashem says, "Don't light fire on Shabbat," and you light fire on Shabbat and he does tshuva, the tshuva suspends his punishment. He puts his punishment on hold, and Yom Kippur atones for his sin. If he violates Shabbat, but he does tshuva immediately, doesn't waste any time, he does tshuva, but Yom Kippur is going to atone for his sin. As it's stated in Leviticus 16.30, for on this day shall atone, shall atonement be made for you to purify you from all of your sins. This actually the Shabbat example wasn't good because that's din karet. Next one is but another positive mitzvah. If one commits a transgression that warrants karet, or a sin that's punishable by death, like murder, or violating of Shabbat, and the earthly court. And then he repents. He does tshuva. So then the repentance and Yom Kippur suspend this punishment. And only suffering in this world will absolve and complete his atonement. As it's stated in Psalm 89.33, Then will I visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with the strokes. So if somebody didn't in order for them, for any violation of Shabbat, tarat mishpacha, and things of that nature, Yom Kippur, you made such sins in your life, then there's tshuva, there's Yom Kippur, and there's suffering in this world, combination of all of them, will complete the tshuva of a person for that type of sin. But, in the case of one who has caused a Hashem, like signing up to uh, Dancing with the Stars, like this rabbi in Canada, or bringing a Christian missionary, or wanting to bring a Christian missionary to his or all types of other Chilul Hashem types of sins, someone has the secretion of Hashem, his repentance, is tshuva, has no power to suspend his punishment. Nor does Yom Kippur have any power to atone for his sin, nor does any suffering alone have any power to absolve him. Rather, all of these suspend the punishment, but death alone will absolve him. Meaning, tshuva, real tshuva for him, for someone with the desecration of Hashem's name, tshuva really will begin when he dies. As it says in Isaiah twenty-two fourteen, and the Lord of hosts revealed Himself to my ears. This iniquity shall not be atoned for until you die. That's the source of that, of Chilul Hashem. Not being something that a person can fix so simply. Which means that a person needs to be very, very careful with his actions. Very careful before he starts getting angry at God and saying stupid things about the test that Hashem gives him. Because in reality, one of the things that I learned from this Shlach Kadosh and many of the other things that we've learned in the past is you're, you are gonna. Whatever bed you make is where you're gonna sleep. Whatever food you cook, that's what you're gonna eat. Whatever's happening in your life, you made it. You made your bed. Now you sleep in it. You made the food. Now you eat it. You made yourself problems. Now you have to deal with the consequences. It's not even the punishment. It's just the reality. Now, once a person does serious tshuva, the midat chesed from Hashem can come, and he can, Fast forward the blessings and remove some of these decrees and make your life peaches. But until you seriously take tshuva, you take tshuva seriously, and you start watching your eyes and your lips and your nose and everything, don't cry. Don't complain to Hashem. Why? You're making it worse. You're making it worse. And that's what Am Yisrael did in this parasha. In this parasha this week, Am Yisrael complains to Hashem about Eretz Yisrael. He says, this, uh, this is a land that uh, eats his own people. And they all start crying. They'll cry, they're crying, and crying. Hashem says, you cried for no reason. I'll make sure you cry on this day for eternity. Forever. for all The whole existence of this world, you're going to cry on this day. What? Tisha Destruction of Bet the first one. The second one. All the disasters of Am Yisrael happen on this day. Why? You cry for no reason. You complain for no reason. Why don't you check your own actions? Why should you do tshuva? And that's rabotan. That's the secret. That's the secret. If we do tshuva, we say, Avinu Pashanu. Hashem, I don't know why you're doing this. But obviously it's my fault. And obviously you're doing it for my own benefit. Or else you wouldn't do it. Because you love me, because I'm your son, because I'm your daughter, because you love me, so you're doing it for me. So Hashem, I'm trying to do tshuva, but since I don't really know where to do, I'm just going to do everything. I don't know why I need to fix. I'm just going to try to fix everything. I don't know what I need to fix. Because this is difficult. This is everything is difficult. So what am I going to do? I'm trying to fix everything. You start doing that. You take Hashem seriously. Next time you have an opportunity to be generous, you're generous. Next time you have an opportunity to do mitzvah, you do mitzvah. Next time you have an opportunity to give Chesed, you do Chesed. Next time you have an opportunity to refrain from sinning, you refrain from sinning. Next time you have an opportunity to go learn, you learn. You take chuba seriously. Once you take Chuva seriously, it becomes you. Not part of you, it becomes you. And that rabotai is how you can turn the bad into good. That's how you can turn the bad into good. And this is only the first part of the types of givers. Because realistically, a person's money can either be a ticket to gan Eden and eternity, or Genom for eternity. It all depends on how you treat money. What is your attitude towards money? If you treat it like it's a tool to do the will of Hashem, you will have a beautiful olam for eternity. If you use it as something, you treat it as if it's worth something, much more than that, you think of it as something precious and you only want to fulfill your own desires, you turn it into avodah Dazara, then do I really need to tell you what the outcome is? It's not pretty. Not in this world, not in the next one. And that's the thing that people need to understand. It's easy. It's easy. It's easy to understand. Why? It's it's true. It's true. But the only way we could truly reflect on it is by learning this stuff, writing it down, going over it, reflecting, going over it, reflecting, applying, rinse and repeat, like the dentist say, rinse and repeat. That's it, Abutai. Any questions? Well, I mean, there is a... The tzedakah is one of the ways that you can prove that the Torah is divine, actually, believe it or not. And the reason why is because unlike all of the false religions, Christianity, Catholicism, anything relating to the New Testament at all, uh, a book full of evil and lies or the Quran, another book full of evil and lies, or Buddhism, I don't even know if they have a book, but it's complete stupidity. All these 80,000 other religions, you'll see that one thing they do have in common with Judaism is that they love money. And they talk about tzedakah or charity or so on. And they call it tithe, like we call ma'aser as tithe, you know, in translation to English. But it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. And the reason why is because in those religions, that tithe doesn't have actual laws other than just give everything you have and we care less about what happens to you as a result of it. So I have a friend that his father literally gave everything he had to this false religion and now he's struggling. The, the family is struggling because they thought that something good's going to happen out of giving it for Abu Dazarah and now obviously nothing good's going to happen out of it. And now they're struggling and they can't get the money back. And no one cares and no one's going to help them. So in Judaism, an average person is not allowed to give everything they have. An average person is allowed to give 20%, 20% of their income, 20% is what they're allowed to give, but a person is obligated to give 10% of their income. That's the ma'asel. But the Birkata Yehuda, Berkat Yehuda in Torah Yehuda, said that a person can't just rely on these simple numbers. Why? Because the giving in Judaism, the giving according to the Torah, is really based on his wealth. It's, ba- it's all proportionate. Because even if he gives 20%, even if he gives twenty percent of his money, he should not assume that he's giving enough. Why? Because if he's one of these people that's a high income generator, he makes three, four, five hundred thousand dollars, a million dollars, twenty million dollars—big money. Him giving twenty percent is not enough. Why? He doesn't need twenty million dollars. Even if he gives four million dollars, good job, but the four million is not enough. Why? You really need sixteen million. Shouldn't they give you twenty million for you to have sixteen million? Not much Torah you could do with, the. you don't need 16 million. Whatever, even if you give for yourself a million. Even if you give for yourself 2 million, it's enough. What do you need so much money for? So a person can't assume that just because he's giving even 20%, Chomish, where it says somebody gives Marcel gets titashel, someone gives 20%, Hashem guarantees him to become very rich in his lifetime and so on. Even if he gives 20%, if he's really wealthy, it's not enough. So, the numbers are per se for the average person. The average person should give at least 10%. If they want to do midat Chassidut, they want to do above and beyond, they're allowed to give up to 20%. But that's assuming, that's assuming the standard person, they're making just enough, they make ends meet, maybe a little bit more, uh, you know, they, they make $100,000 a year or something like that. They're fine. But if the guy is a big income generator, this 20% doesn't apply to him. So, it's it's, that's why it says, a person should make themselves a rabbi. Somebody came to uh, Arab Steinem in Shalom and uh, wanted to show off to the rabbi. For Just wanted to let you know this year, Ba'uch Hashem, I gave the Avrichim half my money. Half my money I gave the Avrichim. Oh, yeah, Hashem, Chazaku Yeah, yeah. No, you understand. A thousand Avrichim. A thousand avrechim thousand avrechim, I gave them the money. I fed them. For a thousand, it's a lot of money. how much money a thousand of is? He financed for the whole year? It's a lot of money. What did Rav Steineman say to him? He said, You know what he said to him? I didn't know that one person needs as much food as a thousand families. Instead of getting the chazak Bauch that our logic, that's full of evil and shtuyot and nonsense, would think, oh wow, chazak Bauch, you gave a thousand families, you gave them food. Wow, no, Rav was ish kodesh, ish emet. What do you say? Why do you need as much? One person, one family. Why does one family need as much as a thousand families? Why do you need so much? You give half of your money. You said half your money you gave to them. Half the money went to a thousand families, so the other half went where? To you. Why do you need that half? Just one family needs as much as a thousand families. Why? How many houses can you live in? How many cars can you drive? Why do you need so much money for? Now of course person that's rich it's hard for them. Person that's rich, it's hard for them to give everything they have, but the point is a person needs to understand that they have to be careful to to, to make sure that they're doing it right. Because we've seen in our Torah some giants, they were also righteous, lose everything, because they didn't give enough. One of them is uh, Gemara Masechet Ta'anit. Talks about uh, Nagdimon Ben-Gurion. Nagdimon Ben-Gurion was the uh, Bill Gates of his time, the Warren Buffett of his time, but just Tzadik. He's one of the Three righteous people in Am Yisrael, but also three most rich people in Israel. Now, righteous is not enough of a description for him. Why? Because righteous is just somebody that follows the line mitzvot. Him, he was so righteous, he's one of few people, I think it's three people in history, that Hashem stopped the sun for him. Or four people. Four people in history, Hashem stopped the sun in the sky. He stopped time for him. That's how righteous he were. But still, later on in his life, he lost all of his money. Everything to such a point that Rabban Yochanan saw his daughter looking for food in the waste of the donkeys of the Arabs. That's how much poverty she got to, and how he got to. They asked him, well, "How come? How, how could it be? Your father was so generous. He gave a lot of money to people. Yes, he gave a lot of money, but proportionally, it wasn't enough." It wasn't enough. Why you had uh, half a million dollar account in your four hundred one k, but your donation was fifty bucks? Oh, five hundred bucks? Oh, okay, no problem. Good, it's no problem. It's just not enough. It's, it's not enough. We have to be generous with Hashem's children as much as we want Hashem to be generous with us. It's midah kinegid midah. If you're cheap with Hashem. Expect the same. It's not a punishment. It's just a reality. It's not a punishment. It's a reality. And that's the thing that people need to understand. And really, the biggest reason of why people don't give enough is because they don't have enough immuna. which is what we'll talk about in the next shield uh, on this specific topic. Anything else? Why is the order the order as it is? Meaning the four people? Why are they dividing the four people that way? Yeah. What well, we see that's in common in all of them is that the, uh, the first one is the uh, is, is one side, right side, uh, that's missing one aspect. The uh, second is missing the opposite. The third one actually is a completion on both sides, meaning he's good on both sides. And the fourth one is missing both sides. So that's how the... Uh, it's the four possible options. There is no other options. The four possible options. And the uh, Mishnah is giving that same order, that same pattern, in every one of these uh, Mishnayot of, of fours, uh, where the first part is missing one side, second part is missing left side, and so on. But as far as the... Uh, why they chose the first one missing the right one, second one being the left one, that, I don't know. But, I mean, as far as... I mean, it seems to me that's the... Uh, only logical choice, just when you read it. But I'm sure there's other other uh, commentaries on that. Next, yeah. Regarding the, the laws of uh, do they apply to the gentiles or just the Jews? Uh, depends. Depends. I mean, it's not the same level. It's not the same level as uh, as a, uh, a Jew. Uh, but there are certain types of lashon that uh, is murder, and they're uh, they're not allowed to say it because it's murder. So, I mean, but for them, it's more about the common sense. The ones that are common sense. It's common sense that you shouldn't say certain things about certain people. It's common sense you shouldn't disclose secrets that belong to other people. It's common sense you shouldn't say bad things about other people. It's common sense you shouldn't discuss other people's finances. Generally, most Lashon is common sense, really. Uh, And that's really more of the ones that apply to everyone. Because it's common sense. Um, and everyone knows deep down inside the difference between right and wrong, or else you wouldn't be human. You know, if you don't know the difference between right and wrong, you're either mentally uh, disabled, which means you're patul from the mitzvot, you're absolved from all the mitzvot because you're mentally disabled, uh, or um, you're not human. You're like a giraffe or something, and you work off of instinct. And you know, in the, in the zoo, we'll have to f- visit you. Give you some uh, peanuts. Is that what giraffes eat? Peanuts? Grass? Some peanuts and grass, maybe? Anybody here knows some giraffes? So, uh, if a person is a person, he has common sense and he knows the difference between right and wrong. Of course, the more you learn Torah, the more you realize that even your definition of right and wrong was perverted and wasn't clean and wasn't kosher, but generally you should know the basics. Everybody knows murder is not allowed. Not by speech and not by action. Everybody knows. So, we use common sense. Next. Okay, the, uh, the uh, sure like I said, Tuesday on um, Sunday, uh, we're not going to have it. We'll have to skip that, uh, that week. But Bezat Hashem, we will be back on uh, Tuesday, Tuesday night, Bezat Hashem, uh, and also uh, Wednesday. Wednesday is in the other location, the Hashem, but of course you'll see it online, we'll be in touch. Baruch Adonai Le'olam, Amen Ve'amen.